You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. Welcome to the exciting world of the movies. Movie lovers, and welcome back to the movie graveyard. We have a special treat for you. Uh, we're hoping it's a special treat, but yeah, we we just like I kind of came up with the idea because like as you remember, Trev, like we tried to do this really short Halloween episode last year for Mister Boogity, and then I was like, oh, this movie's only forty five minutes. Let's talk about stuff, and then we talked about stuff for like two hours. Yeah. So like we're we're definitely. I hope you're still into uh, cover Boogity Strikes Back. <laughs> Oh, of course. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I, I can't I can't rest knowing that we've only done half the Boogity franchise. Because I remember at the time you're like, should we just do both? I'm like, mm, let's make them wait. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the anticipation building up is, you know, once that second yeah. episode hits, that's when they're going to announce the bo- the Boogity reboot because we're yeah. just going to get the mania going. All right. I mean, we, we got it half stirred up right now. And when Boogity Strikes Back episode comes out, you know, it's yeah. going to be like, bam. But yeah, so like I I just had some things that like were on the top of my mind and I was just like particularly things that I was like, oh, like, uh, you know, like I wonder what Trev thinks about this. And like, yeah, there's always Facebook and chats and shit, but they're like, yeah, it's a little impersonal. And like for some reason, yeah. every time we talk on Facebook, it seems to go a little sideways, Trev. <laughs> well, I was going to say, it's, a, it's actually kind of nice to do an episode like this because you and I don't talk as much as we used to. Um, yeah. You used to be in a, a group chat with me and a couple of right, our right. podcast buddies, and uh, you probably wisely got out of there because you realized it was, you know, yeah. uh, you know, I'm still in there and we still, you know, just bullshit back and forth. But, um, you know, there was a lot of just like kind of going back and forth in the same issues, and I think you just kind of yeah. got sick of it. So you and I mostly talk when we record these these podcasts, and exactly. I think this is like a, this is a fun episode to do because, yeah, I, I, I do miss just chatting with like about you with uh, just any regular topic and not just a certain 80s movie or you know a themed thing so uh, it's kind of a nice just catch up it's 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 fun to more chat like that like one-on-one or whatever and it's like it's like for me at least like i found out like like i don't really do well when i'm like basically chatting with five people at once (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and to what you said about it going sideways, I mean that's pretty much at this point. I think we've fallen into a pretty fun routine to where yeah. you know if I'm commenting on something on your Facebook page, it's mostly because you know I feel like I'm I'm trying to get a rise out of you, and then I figure like you're going to keep it going, and you know yeah. it's I, I think we both know there's like no ill intentions or anything. It's just nah. yeah, we our, our our patter is pretty much down by this point. So I think sometimes other people kind of come in and comment on those, thinking that you and I are like really arguing. Yeah, um, but yeah. Well, I, I think a lot of time too, um, like 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 what with what happened the other day is like a lot of times, I feel like, like like one thing gets said and it kind of opens like like a door and then some more things get said and then and like by the end of it, I was like more like doing actually more research than anything and reading and following up on the shit we were talking about the other day, just because it's like. Like, I don't know, like, there's there, there's different avenues, and it's like, like, when somebody else gives their input or their thought or whatever, it's, like, interesting to then like, kind of reevaluate, like, your stance and be like, be like, oh, maybe, and, like, yeah, like, I don't know how much I want to get into it, but, like, that actually did prompt me to do some more research the other day, and I'm just, like... It's just I don't know. It's it, it's like fascinating, like the whole world of kind of human psyche and human. Uh, uh, I don't know what you call it. Moving in groups, a herd, pack mentality, whatever. And it's interesting that like we pretty much 
have evolved. Um, like I almost see it as like a, a behavior evolution uh, in this digital age. Like there's definitely like tribes and there's definitely like a line in the sand. And it's like weird. Cause like, I, I don't know about you, Trevor, but like the very, very early promise of the internet, which was kind of spouted out there in the nineties. Remember when it was always called the super ma- uh, what was it? The information super highway. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it's like now, like, I almost feel like we've come into like our, like, we've almost gone back to like caveman days where it's like a uh, clan of the cave or something. And we're just like, it's so weird too, because it's like the littlest thing can, uh, you know, not necessarily what we're talking about. But I was looking more at the Twitter stuff that we were talking about the other day. And I'm like, man, like, they're just people, you know, thank God that like, like, I'm not a, a, a famous person or whatever, or, you know, really in the Twitter sphere like that. Cause it's like, it's like somebody can say one thing and then it opens up like a whole Pandora's box. And the next yeah, thing you know, oh, there's hundreds of people piling on, you know? Yeah. The uh, the fact that any famous people remain on Twitter and other yeah. social media outlets just boggles my mind because it's just not worth it. I mean, I, I stay on Twitter just because and I'm not very active on Twitter, but I do like following some comedians. You know, you get some funny stuff on there. Yeah. But like you, like, you know, these filmmakers and stuff. Why bother? Because I yeah. said, like, just everything uh, yeah, I mean, maybe this is something we'll talk about during this episode, but it's just it's it is definitely a minefield and it's not worth it most of the time. Um, and I've certainly seen uh, pretty huge overreactions to what seemed to me to be clearly innocuous comments and, right. and you know, tasteless jokes, which well, actually I'm going to say this because this actually does tie into one of the topics I brought. So I really was actually kind of appreciating that the, your idea for this episode, which was uh, you said, Trevor, why don't we just both come up with like five or so topics just about whatever and, you know, the world of movie or movies, TV, entertainment to, to spitball at each other. And uh, yeah, I'll save what I was about to say, because one of them actually kind of goes along with something I had. Perfect. So I, I, I figure I got five. You got five or so ish. Do you, do you just want to like trade off back and forth? Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. Did you want to go ahead and, and, and get started, Trev? You want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. I'm curious. All right, man. So, okay, like the, I'll, I'll, I'll dive right into the one that kind of ties into what we were just saying. So this is actually, um, you know, this first one is just a filmmaker that I want to talk to you about because I'm not sure you and I have ever talked about this person. And I recently, this is someone I've been a fan of for a long time, but I recently fell kind of back down the rabbit hole because I uh, read one of his books and that got me into um, going onto YouTube and watching tons of interviews with him and then revisiting a few of his movies. And now I'm kind of in the mood to like go back and revisit some more of his movies. And that is John Waters. Wow. And I don't, I can't remember any time you and I've ever talked about John Waters. I'm going to go out on a limb and assume you probably are a fan. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so I, I kind of just wanted to talk to you just about your general thoughts about John Waters, like maybe like what are your favorites, uh, what do you like about him, but also I, so I wanted to come to you with this topic because this is something I actually raised to a few other friends, including, you know, some, you know, some of our buddies, I, I raised this issue to like Bird and Tom and then some other people I know, and I was kind of getting to thinking about how John Waters is this interesting figure today, right, because I was trying to figure out could he happen today, and because of what we were saying, I don't think he could, right, so I think... This fact that he was making these films that were intentionally tasteless and confrontational, there's no chance of that you know, happening today. And I, I think that's like a, a weird indication of how much culture has shifted, because when we were growing up in the 80s, that was kind of the cool, like liberal thing, right, was to be confrontational and to do tasteless humor for the sake of tasteless humor, because you're <laughs> kind of fighting back against the censors. And that was like the mark of a progressive, you know, and that was like the transgressive kind of bad taste humor was looked at as like cool and hip. 
and I've seen John Waters talk about how he feels strange that the the society has shifted to where now the liberals are the censors. And yeah. I was just I was just kind of curious because this is so this is a question I posed to to some other people. I want to get your opinion on it. I'm wondering if we are now getting close to the point, maybe how long do you think it's going to be before we see a shift again to where the next version of John Waters and that kind of John Waters, Andy Warhol, uh, you know, mentality does happen? Because I wonder, are we is this political correct thing that's happening nowadays getting to starting getting to be so kind of overblown that we actually going to see that pendulum shift again? Or do you think it's like impossible now? Do you think it really is impossible for a new John Waters? So I know that's a lot, but I was just kind of curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, just real quick on John Waters, because I always feel like I'm like the anomaly of like people who like know of or where like I haven't seen all of his movies. I've only seen mm -hmm. half his movies. Mm -hmm. But like, I don't know if you were like this or not, Trev, but like I actually, I like I actually came into John Waters, you know, because of my age or whatever. I got into it more when he was like more entering his mainstream phase. Yeah, so, and that's what I mean. And like that's the fascinating thing about him, right? The fact that he came to fame for a movie like Pink Flamingos, which has you know a singing asshole, someone eating dog shit for real, yeah. and he became a mainstream figure. And that's what I mean. Like I don't know that I could see that happening today. You right. Know? Um, so I think that's what's fascinating about him. Yeah, like, so, like, I really came in, like, I would say for me, it was, like, the the kind of, like, the hairspray-ish, crybaby-ish, like, mm -hmm. whatever, and then, like, yeah, like, I remember seeing those movies actually on video, not in a theater, and then uh, I think probably the last one of his that, like, I caught on video was Serial Mom, and, yeah. like, like I was probably just too young, I mean, I was a teenager when that came out, but, like, it, it wasn't really till, I would say, like, I saw Pecker and Cecil B. Demented theatrically. Uh, mm -hmm. And then his pretty much his last movie, A Dirty Shame After That, which is kind of like taking on like the whole like, you know, whatever. But but I would I would say like I kind of came into John Waters and being like the most into John Waters with like Pecker and Cecil B. Demented because it's just yeah. like I don't know how to explain it, but it's just like those movies, especially Cecil B. Demented, it's just like. Like, I felt like he had moved to a point where he was just above going the shocking, and he was more about, like, the kind of, like, the, the like, using, like, kind of shocking type of stories for, for like, like true satire, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree, and I, I, I really love Cecil B. Demented. I think that's a very underrated one in his filmography. Um, oh. I mean, my favorite John Waters movie is Serial Mom, and I actually think that might be the only one I saw in the theater. I remember going to see that with my, my parents. Um and I don't think, like, my parents certainly didn't know or care about John Waters. I think yeah. they just, just heard some good things about that new dark comedy with Kathleen Turner, you know? Because, like, yeah. we went and saw stuff like War of the Roses and Throw Mama from the Train, too. So my, I know my dad liked dark comedies. And, uh, yeah, I loved Serial Mom. Um, I, I don't know if I'd seen Cry Baby before that. But, uh, but yeah, so I, Serial Mom's just still my favorite. Uh, but I, I really like that mainstream phase of him as well, you know? Like, I... I respect Pink Flamingos for what it is. Yeah. I don't know that I'll ever watch it again. <laughs> I've seen it once. Yeah. I think I'm good. I do like Desperate Living and, and Female Trouble. Um, but yeah, I really like my favorites are Serial Mom, Cry Baby, and Cecil B. Demented. Those are the three that I, I really like the most. Oh, and I like Hairspray quite a bit. But uh, but yeah, so I same thing. I, I, I really like him as a personality. He's one of those guys who just I can watch any interview with him. Um, you know, I've read a few of his books. He's just endlessly fascinating and entertaining to me as well. It's just like a, as a media figure, you know. Yeah, I didn't even see uh, Pink Flamingos until like maybe t it was probably like about 12 years ago. And that was mm -hmm. totally just from like a co-worker swapping DVDs back and forth. Like, oh, like you should watch this movie and I would bring a, 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 
DVD and then, you know, she would give me a DVD and stuff like that. And like, yeah. yeah. And like, I mean, I always, I always knew about pink flamingos and I always knew about the whatever. And like, I kind of like, I want to say through like, you know, either IFC or Sundance or combination of the both, like watching like on satellite in like the late nineties, there was always like, like I pretty much was filled in on the history of John Waters and kind of like his whole kind of like, uh, like Baltimore kind of art, Mm-hmm. you know gay scene that like he had come out of and like i always just respected him because like I, I know exactly what you mean about pink flamingos like it's, it's kind of like you've seen it it's like maybe i'll watch it one more time but it's, it's not something you crave to like no. watch but at the same time it's like i don't know how harsh you can be like like when i watch those type of movies that are like i feel like the filmmakers are like literally they have no money no whatever they're just running on adrenaline like mm-hmm. and let's be honest sometimes when you're a younger you know artist or whatever like you you don't necessarily have your best creative idea so like i just look at it as like you know the raw shit or whatever but yeah like i definitely would be interested in seeing like his other movies around that time i mean it's just there's something about like that truly independent you know and like he kind of morphed into like what i guess you would say like like less so like the drive-ins although i'm sure his movies probably did play there like he was more like one of the original uh midnight movie type guys you know what i mean oh for sure yeah yeah Yeah. but yeah like getting back to like your question like it's kind of funny how you phrase it because i never really thought of it like that but you're right like it kind of was you know, not not to get into political shit, it's just historical, whatever. It it kind of always was like a more of a, like a liberal, like, and I say a lot of it came out of like the persecution, the kind of undergroundness that like the 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 kind of like the gay scene, the gay art scene. Because there's always, you know, whether whether you look at like um, like actual physical art, like you know what I mean, like uh, like paintings, sculptures, and stuff, and mm-hmm. and you know, and 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 live theater, and like there, there's always been like kind of like you know a, a large uh population of, of of gay artists and it's like i feel like a lot of like looking back on it now like a lot of the independent movies of the 70s and even early 80s like they almost always even if it's not like a gay theme film there's always like some introduction or some like you know theming of of like gay culture and just like it's really weird now to to uh you know, n- not that like, you know, you or me are like really, you know, experts of what current modern day gay culture is. But I feel like a lot of the gay culture was like kind of bubbling up through the underground film scene back then. And it's like, yeah, it's like it, it, it was, I guess, because you had a lot of artists coming from um, kind of subcultures that like weren't really accepted in society, no matter what, like before mm-hmm. they even kind of put their art in, out into the world. So it's kind of like it's like they were kind of creating these de facto rebel kind of like artists and yeah. filmmakers you know and not even just gay culture right but just like this undercurrent of just general like sexual liberation mm-hmm. and like total like kind of freedom um you know um non-violent depravity you know yeah. kind of this like exception of like kinks and fetishes um and yeah and, and just like um kind of going back to what we were just saying about this idea of how it kind of being more like the liberals celebrating this you know, growing up, you can think of like in the world of comedy who like the the underground kind of liberal heroes were, were comedians like, you know, like a, a Bill Hicks or a George Carlin or a Richard Pryor, who I think today, as we have seen with the, you know, kind of reactions to people like Dave Chappelle and other comedians would would not be celebrated by liberals. And in fact, in recent years, you've seen that kind of uh, I'm sure you've noticed sometimes 
conservatives will try to like kind of claim George Carlin as one of theirs. Right. And, you know, people know George Carlin have to, kind of have to step in and be like, hey, by the way, he like hated your guts. You understand? Yeah. Right. Like, he's about as liberal as you get. But because they it's weird to see conservatives try and position themselves today as the ones who are more on the side of, um, you know, bad taste and, and being willing to be like more shocking with their humor. But I think the, the important difference is they're. Again, you know, not to wade into huge political waters here, but I think a lot of the people on the right who do that are kind of more about being mean and punching down against certain groups and trying oh. to, you know, really oppress people. And that's the thing about like the, the transgressive nature I'm talking about with someone like John Waters or George Carlin was never punching down. It was trying to celebrate marginalized groups and trying to give them their place at the table, you know, Um so that's just a, a general thought on that too. But yeah, exactly. And it's kind of funny because you know a lot of the stuff that's uh, kind of come out. I mean, it's you know we we can we can duck uh, politics all we want, but it's like I think I think that's like kind of like a really big theme that's been going on the last couple years, and it's like kind of like how how woke or whatever you want to say, how politically charged can entertainment get and mm -hmm. still be like actually freely made art? If you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like it's it's kind of interesting because it's like I think we're kind of turning a corner right now. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, like we've been living in cancel culture pretty much for like the last, geez, probably six or seven years at least. Uh, and it's kind of like we went through the whole Me Too movement, and like, I mean, don't get me wrong, like if you're like you've been found to be like convicted of rape, and like I know there's like allegations, and that's a whole other issue of like you know. Uh, innocent until proven guilty but like i mean like i think we're pretty i think pretty much everybody's on the board <laughs> that's somebody like a harvey weinstein like there's no coming back from that but it's like somebody who's more on the other end of the you know the spectrum of of uh i guess offensiveness i guess you say somebody like a james gunn with his situation and, and just digging up old tweet jokes and like mm -hmm. i think we're finally like coming on the corner where I feel like more like where people there, you know, with, with the kind of like the online presence, there's always going to be that quick, like, um, snap judgment. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think thankfully, like getting back to what we were actually talking about here, I think people like if they come out and like they're honest and they're sincere and whatever, like, I think to some degree, some things are, are forgivable now. Like I think pretty much James Gunn is in the clear. I think he can resume yeah. his career, you know, and like, yeah, and like stuff like that and i think there's gonna be more instances of like james gunn types because like you know like it's it, it's not just like tweets or online things and whatever like you know there's there's a lot of stuff that like you know was either acceptable or like was not offensive in movies 20 30 years ago and now is like i don't think artists should be held against that like 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 if if, if you're making a movie that's like offensive to people like right now in 2021 or whatever i think i think okay like maybe maybe like you can rub people the wrong way that way but i don't think people should be held to like stuff that was made even 10 years ago let alone no, 15 yeah. 20 30 years ago you know what i mean it's like and that's yeah and that's what i'm curious about like do you do you feel like you see that backlash against this kind of coming and to be and i want to be clear like i'm a, i'm about as liberal as it gets and like i i even get i get like really nervous and bristle about this whole cancel culture term because <laughs> right. people overuse it and i think you know in most of the cases they they try to make it seem like it's a bad thing when the ones we're talking about you know i, I like when people say well actually it's it's consequential culture you know a lot yeah. of people deserve to get everything taken away from them when as you said their actions are kind of revealed but as you said then there are these ones where you know someone kind of gets 
you know, castigated or pulled down for an old joke. And as I said, like there, there was a time when it was kind of looked at as like, there's a place for tasteless humor. And I wonder if that can still right. exist. You know, like we can also wrap like trauma into this as well with John Waters, right? Like trauma is a company I love. And I don't think anybody would deny that Lloyd Coffin is a pretty big, uh, you know, liberal figure, but I mean, look at the kind of humor he does in his films. And I, I you know, I, I know trauma is not really doing that well in general nowadays, but I just imagine some of those early trauma movies coming out today and how they would be, how like this new younger generation would react to them. But to your point about like people having to apologize for things, it's even, yeah. like, that's even my question. Is there going to come a point where someone like John, Wa or so, not John Water, someone like James Gunn can even just say, I don't know that I need to apologize for that. Right. It's, it was just a tasteless joke. Right. And they're, yeah. they are just jokes. So I don't know. I, I, it's, it's complicated for me because I do think everyone's opinion, uh, you know, opinions and emotions need to be valued. And I think if you can't, you can never, you can't determine what offends somebody. And if someone is offended, they are offended. Right. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It, it is weird because I think what I've personally learned in like the last five years or so is like, like, like as much as you want to like defend the intentions between behind a piece of art, whether it be a movie, a joke, or a comic book, whatever, it's like you just have to accept the fact, or at least I've accepted the fact, like you, you, you can't like. You can't stop somebody from being offended. They're either going to be offended mm -hmm. or not. Like to me, it's like okay, that's step one of the equation. Like you, you put something out there, somebody reacts a certain way. Okay, to me, what's more important than even step one is what is step two. Like, are you going to say like you know, are you going to apologize? Which, like you said, like I don't even know. Sometimes you really need to apologize, but it's like depending on what the situation is. But it's like just don't rub salt in the wound type thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and I, th I think, I think the, the kind of like the back and forth and everything always being taken to the nuclear level is like, like I basically just think we need like more conversations on stuff. And like, I'm happy to see people not being quote unquote canceled. Like, I mean, like I said, like if you're somebody like a Harvey Weinstein and it's like, basically if you're doing like actual legally defined crimes you like yeah like you're going to pay the price one way or another either by going to jail or you know people just you'll be a pariah but like yeah, yeah. like like somebody making a piece of entertainment that, that that's why like you know even when people write like um you know like the thing we were talking about the other day like like i'm just like okay like some guy wrote a fucking article like who cares <laughs> you know what i mean but 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 the response from like 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 the kind of like the people that were like you know responding to the james gunn comments on twitter and i'm just kind of like i'm like i kind of i kind of feel like that's why we're not going to get to like a, a mid-level place but i will say one thing is like is like we probably can't ever reach like total harmony the way we used to like not that we ever were totally harmless about these things but it's like I don't know, like, 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 it just seems like every outrage, like, never has a chance to die down now, because either there's, like, the next outrage coming, or it's just, like, people just have long-ass memories now in the digital mm -hmm. age, but, like, yeah, I kind of do see, like, that humor coming back, in all honesty, uh, and then, like you said, it, it's ironic that it used to come from, more, uh, like, a more liberal place in the, in the, in the politics and culture and art, and, like, now it seems like it's coming back more, um, like you said, kind of like almost in like a right wing, which like I personally, I will totally like welcome it as long as it's like not done in a way to like inflame or whatever. Like for, for, for example, like, like I always like stand up comedy by Andrew Dice Clay. He's like one of my favorite comedians. Like, like 
to me, like, and his material is quite different now than it was. Like, I mean, he's still the same character. He still talks about the same shit. I think it's still probably offensive to most people. But, like, you know, he doesn't do, like, the gay jokes and the whatever things that he used to, like, in the early 80s. And it's kind of like, to me, it's like, okay, like, this guy is doing his thing in a, in a comedy club. Like, whatever he's saying, he's saying, like, behind a closed door that you have to pay to get into. So it's like... To me, like that kind of thing, it's just like just fucking let it go, whether it's offensive or not. To me, it's it's more like the people that are like they're doing it as a crusade just to piss people off. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And they're not really, you know. I mean, this is a longer discussion. I don't want to spend too much time on this one topic since we yeah. both have five. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it, it's it's frustrating too, just because you see, you know, I've I've seen plenty of people I follow and just you know make some kind of innocuous comment or or get misinterpreted or get misconstrued and. The people who kind of attack them aren't really looking for an apology. You know, like an apology is not enough. It's yeah. uh, and there's there you don't know it's enough. And yeah, I don't. It's just strange. And then the other, like the last thing I'll say about the, the John Waters element of it, and like my curiosity of if there could even be a John Waters today, is I, I think also what's important is and what makes it difficult to have there be a new version of John Waters, is that you know he came to prominence at a time when the mainstream view of culture was like much more. Um, just large, right? And, and a kind of omnipresent yeah. and today because of the internet and because there are so many kind of subgroups and everything, there's no, it's really difficult for there to be kind of transgressive art today, right? Because yeah. you can't really shock anyone anymore with anything. And so it is, it is, it's getting to the, and then, but I, but to, again, to what I was just saying, I think the one kind of caveat to that is that we have now been falling so hard into this. Well, be careful about everything you say. And we have to always be very, very woke that's where I am yeah. curious. Like maybe in the next 10 years or so, maybe we will see that pendulum swing again and, and the left kind of take that back. I don't know. Yeah. Like it's, it's really hard to say. I would say like, and, and obviously it's not the same cause we're comparing a film director to like what's happening today. But I think like, if anything, probably the closest thing you're going to have to like a John Waters type is, uh, somebody who, um, who makes content like on YouTube, like there, there's, there's a guy who like he does. He's pretty interesting, but at the same time, like I can't, I don't really enjoy his stuff enough to re- recommend it. But there's this guy, I want to say his name is Danny Mullen. I don't know if you ever heard of him, but mm-hmm. he kind of does these videos. Like he's not like your typical YouTuber where like every couple of days he's like shitting out like a whatever, well, you know, whatever. Like like he does a lot of shocking shit. Like some of it borderline jackass stuff. But then it's like instead of doing like a five minute shock prank stunt like he actually like pretty much all his videos are about half hour long and they're like kind of built around the theme and whatever so like there was one where him and his friend recently kind of recreated fear and loathing in las vegas and like you know they got dressed up in the suits and they kind of like retraced the steps like the movie but but at the same time it was just kind of like like them goofing off and it's like yeah, like, I think it's going to come through, like, a really, like, unofficial channel like that that's, like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like somebody who's just making provocative shit but not really, like, like, I don't think it'll be, like, in a formal way. Like, I don't think there will be, like, that too many shocking books or too many shocking, like, actual movies because those have to all clear channels and have funding, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's really too hard to say if if it will ever swing back the way it used to. But yeah. So Trev, so most of my topics I think are like kind of short ones. So I don't think every topic we talk about will be that in depth. But that that did get me thinking. But this is probably my only real long uh uh topic here. So Trev, 
I watched a couple movies this week, and uh, there's a couple movies I've been wanting you to watch, and one mm-hmm. of them I'm pretty sure you never will watch, but there's one that maybe you did watch, and I think you're talking about for years, if people don't know, I've been begging Trev to watch Solo, A Star Wars Story. I'm pretty <laughs> sure you haven't watched that one, have you, Trev? I, I have not, no. But like, I will ask you, because you didn't, you don't like, uh, you know, Frankenstein chopped together films. Did you actually pay attention to the Snyder cut? Uh, so I, no, I did not watch the Snyder cut, and in fact, I I have not seen the Whedon cut either. Um, I, I'm in a weird position with this. So like, uh, just to go back to Solo, I I will end up watching Solo someday because um, so I for other listeners who have heard me on here before might know I co-host a podcast called Failure to Franchise where our show is all about failed franchise starters and solo is certainly on our list. So that will be the first time I finally get around to it. And I'll, I'll be honest because I've heard both good and bad things about it. I've just never watched it because I just kind of have no interest in that story. You know, I just yeah. never been a character where I've been like, I want to know his origin and, and the things I did here didn't sound that appealing to me. So I just, just never bothered with it. It's not even like I'm super against it. It just, you know, I'm at it. Uh, this will kind of tie into something I have to say later, but I'm at a point where if I'm not super interested, I probably won't sit down to bother with it unless I need to. <laughs> yeah. um, and that kind of goes to the Snyder cut as well to where um, I don't dislike Zack Snyder. I actually kind of like Zack Snyder. I think he seems like from everything I've heard um, to be, he sounds like kind of a good person. You know, I think he's, I think he's an interesting filmmaker. I don't think he's, I thought it was very funny when like the Watchmen trailer came out and they were calling him like a visionary filmmaker and he'd made like, you know, two movies at that point. Right. Um, you know, like a lot got put on him very early on. I think he's obviously like an amazing visualist. And I think, I don't know. I, so I'm in that, I'm in the group that actually likes the film Sucker Punch. And that Me is because too. I recognize it as being not a great and not a perfect film, but I, I genuinely think he's trying to say something interesting and I don't think he's quite pulling it off, but I actually like ambition in filmmaking. And if someone is trying to do something and is, you know, it, it can be fairly interesting in the, in like the trying, uh, I'll give it credit. And I, I have the Blu-ray of it. And the Blu-ray has one of those maximum movie modes where he stands in front of the screen and talks to you about the movie. And you can see that he's really someone who I think was interested in films like Brazil um, and, you know, he's kind of like looks inside a person's head. He was trying to do his version of it. Right. But his version of it is just bigger and stupider and has girls in short skirts fighting samurais. <laughs> it's like, right. all right, well, whatever. But it's kind of a fun movie and it is trying something. Um, and I really liked Watchmen. I love his Dawn of the Dead remake. I, I, I know people are really down in 300 nowadays and I, I, I agree it hmm. hasn't aged amazingly well, but I still think it's pretty entertaining. Um, but I really don't like his 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 Batman and Superman stuff. And I just think. I don't think he's the right person to handle those characters because he clearly does not like superheroes. And that's why he was the perfect director for Watchmen, you know, a movie that's very suspicious of superheroes and everything he ever said about Batman and Superman and, and, and the decisions he made in his filmmaking kind of seemed like somebody who was just like, well, if superheroes were real. They would all suck, you know? And there's like, there's a place for that. There's a take for it. And I've definitely, this is the last thing I'll say so we can get, move on to whatever you want to say about it. But, I, I was like, I used to be really like, oh, I can't believe they're letting him make these movies. Like, why is he the DC guy? I don't really care about that anymore because we're in a position now to where there's always going to be more of these movies. So make whatever like Superman and Batman movies you want to make. And if I don't like them, fine. Someone else might. And I'll just wait for the next iteration, which is probably only like two or three years away anyways. But uh, yeah, by the time we got to Justice League, I really didn't like Man of Steel or BVS. Um, oh. I really, really, really disliked BVS. So I had no interest in Justice League, um, and I didn't bother with the Whedon one, which I heard was garbage, and the, the Snyder one I've heard is a definite improvement. But I mean, 
four hours of a vision I already know I don't <laughs> like. Uh, yeah, I don't. There, there's I I can't imagine sitting down to watch that. Okay, that makes sense. I was like, I I like all Zack Snyder movies. In all honesty, uh, the only one I haven't seen is the the animated film about the owls. Yeah. Um, and which even though he technically directed, I always like blew that off. Like he didn't really direct it. Come on, yeah. he didn't really direct it. But I mean, apparently recently they've been saying, and uh, I I did enjoy Man of Steel. I still watch parts of it on uh, TV from time to time, like pretty much just the action scenes. But like a, a lot of just how physically that movie was made, I didn't like it because the thing that got me into Zack Snyder was his visuals. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I felt like, like, dude, I was so blown away when 300 came out. Like, I remember 300 came out and like I watched the movie and I was like blown away by it. And like, I, um, you know, like literally, like as soon as the movie was over, like I walked, you know, I walked across the thing to the shopping mall and I went to Hot Topic and I bought the, one of the figures of like one of the little like ninja warrior type guys. And I was just like all about that. I even bought, bought, bought a, a 300 shirt that had a, a Gerard Butler on it. Like, I was just <laughs> I was like, finally, somebody's like making movies again. You know what I mean? Like, like, like when, when I say movies, I mean like... uh like a motion picture, you know what I mean? Where like every frame is like a painting and every, like I was, I was all about it, man. And, and same with his, uh, you know, and, and I enjoyed Dawn of the Dead for what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really loved uh, Watchmen. Like, I kind of held out. I didn't watch the theatrical cut. I've only ever seen the director's cut. So it's just like, I was all about his shit. And like, yeah, like when he hit that Superman movie, I was like, this isn't Zack Snyder. Like, Zack Snyder doesn't do like nonstop shaking cam during like diet, slow dialogue scenes. And he does like, I, it kind of like knocked me off the stank. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, like for, for what it, for what it is, like, like I enjoyed the weeding cut. Uh, I enjoyed the Snyder cut like a lot more. Like, like the weeding cut, like what's weird too, when you really compare the movies back to back, kind of like how I did, like I kind of just like scanned through after I watched the Snyder cut and I watched the weeding cut again. And I was like, I rewatched the scenes that weren't like, like the, like the weeding cut really is like, like that's what's kind of weird to me when people are like, oh, the weeding cut is garbage, but the Snyder cut is so good. Like it really is a lot of the same movie. Like it's, it's really like 80% of the same movie. It's just. The only thing like Joss Whedon kind of did was um like he just chopped it down and he and he re, like his reshoots or whatever like they're just bad comedy scenes. <laughs> but 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 there there is there is like the one thing I miss from the Whedon cut is like when Superman wakes up and like he's not necessarily evil, he's just like weirdly confused and he sees everybody as a threat so he starts fighting them. And it's totally just, you know, a whatever scene just to get the guy, the heroes to fight each other, but I love it when the Flash goes pet cemetery <laughs> i wish there's that one line i wish Zack snyder could find it in his heart to put it into his cut but it won't happen so trev the reason i brought this up is i finally watched a movie a movie we've talked about me watching a long long time and i finally watched it <laughs> talking about our boy with knives out <laughs> oh all right so yeah so so here, here's here's my impressions of knives out the first hour of this movie, I was like, holy shit, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. This little troll motherfucker, he made a masterpiece. Like, I love the first hour. There's like a little bit of quirky humor here or there. I was kind of like, yeah, there's a little hit or miss, this or this. But man, like that movie, and, and what really got me was the visuals. Like, it was so... That's right up my alley as far as like visuals in a movie. Like, everything was so meticulous visually the movie was beautiful 
Um, I was really surprised when I listened to a little bit of the commentary track. It was the first movie he ever made digitally, which shocked me because, yeah. like, I noticed the film grain, and I noticed it was, like, a little sharpie looking. Like, I was like, it didn't look fake to me, but I was like, oh, this looks like maybe, like, they did some sharpening during the Blu-ray because I watched it on a rented Blu-ray. So I was like, it was like maybe during, like, the digital process they didn't know how to – because that happens with film grain movies, you know, like Blue Underground and all these ones, like, they, they the settings you do when you encode it. But the thing that, like, really had me fooled that it, it was shot on film besides being Ryan Johnson and, then, like, I know he pretty much shoot, always shoots on film was, like, like the colors were so sumptuous and beautiful. And he was talking about his cinematographer. I'm sorry, I'm yeah. blank, blanking on his name. But his cinematographer actually, like, has research and, like, has his own individual, like, settings and ways that he can, like, make digital look like film. And I'm just, like... Whoever, like, like somebody's got to pay this guy to develop a system for, like, these digital cameras, you know, whether it be, like, Sony, who who use, makes, the, like, the Alexa camera, which is yeah, a lot yeah, of work. It's, a, it's a Steve Yedlin, and I know, like, yeah. he really, like, uh, yeah, he he basically, he really had to convince Ryan Johnson to do that movie digitally. Like, it was yeah. kind of a fight, I believe, but, yeah. And, I mean, I, like, I could see why, because it's, like, the results, were, I, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure, are probably, like, exactly what Ryan Johnson wanted, but, like... Yeah, that guy, that that guy is a, he's a genius cinematographer, genius. And I know with digital, it's it's you know mostly with film, the cinematographer, the work goes in while you're shooting, the lighting, everything. And I'm sure the lighting was meticulous as well with the Knives Out. But um, but yeah, like that the kind of like the afterthought and there or the aftercare to like really like that's one of the most beautiful movies I think I've ever seen. And the thing that I loved about it. And it's also kind of the only one little critique I'll have of the movie was I was blown away by how timeless of a film it felt. Mm-hmm. And then there was some like, like how we always said, so like for just recapping, if people didn't hear us talk about this originally was like, I hate it when people throw like really, really like recent politics into shit because it's like, okay, like movie making is usually like a two to three year process from script stage to it's like in the theater usually. And, like, it just instantly dates a film. And it's, like, uh, one thing that kind of, besides the um, the uh, the trailer being, like, like over-the-top, like, fucking slapsticky, whatever, kind of turned me off. Like, when the movie came out, like, critics, like, really, all oh, this is a political masterpiece, and it really sums up Trump's America. And, like, we had talked about it where you were kind of like, nah, that's not really what it is. It's really kind of taking shots at both sides and whatever. And, like, I agree fully, like, with, with what, after seeing the film, like, what we talked about, but it was just kind of, like, the modern-day political commentary, it was kind of, like, some of it was funny, but I was, like, man, like, you really had a shot here, like, besides that dialogue and showing a random cell phone and just the cars being modern cars, like, to me, that movie, like, you could have just remove that stuff out of the script. You could have said it in, like, 1978 and it would have been the exact same movie, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like... But that's just a personal thing. That's just, you know, like like maybe they thought, like, we have to make this modern or else it would just feel like an old-timey, stodgy murder mystery. But I I got to say, man, like, the scenes between Christopher Plummer and Anna de Armas, like, that's some of my, like, like, to me, that's up there with, like, fucking Cliff Booth in <laughs> 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 Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there was, like... Like, there's really, like, a fine level of some of the writing in that movie. And, like, I don't want to say anything, you know, because it's... it's it, I mean, you know going in, it's a movie of twists and turns, so I don't want to spoil it for anything who's seen it or not seen it yet. But it's like, yeah, it's like... And then really, like, the only thing where it really was kind of, like, 
yeah i don't know about this movie it was like the ending there's a there's kind of like a running gag literally of some gross out humor and i just wanted to ask you like what did you think about the gross out humor uh um i didn't take it like to be that gross i mean i know what you're talking about but uh yeah. I, I didn't really it didn't really bother me too much i i i thought it seemed it certainly didn't it didn't take me out of anything i i actually well i the one thing i'll slightly agree with you is uh i think I don't mind like some of the politics he inserts into it. I think one character in the film, the 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 son, yeah. uh, the young son, is kind of like too underdeveloped for that yeah. like for that joke about him to work. Like it, right. it does feel like that's a little more plastered in, be, just because it doesn't really go anywhere. I think if you're gonna do stuff like that, you have to commit to it a little bit more. Right. And I think that's the problem. Is like I don't. There's I I like the discussion where it's kind of. Um, you know, feeding into modern day discussions about immigration and stuff, because that's yeah. always going to be the fact. People can say that's a commentary on Trump's America, but it just happened to come out during Trump's America. Right. Uh, rich people are always going to be racist assholes, you know, <laughs> and so that didn't bother me. But the stuff with like the son being very much a Trumper on the phone, not enough screen time was given to it for that to matter. So I could see right. like that where people being like, oh, why is this in here? And then other people being like, no, it's great. It's in there because I agree with it, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah, the gross out stuff. No, that didn't bother me. I, I, re I really like the whole way the film wrapped up. And in general, I mean, you know, I, I loved the film and I, I was yeah. just I definitely was always curious to know how you'd feel about it, because, OK, I'm going to just say, go. I was always curious with like you wanting like you being kind of dismissive of it. I was just always curious to see how much, you know, your your negative feelings about his kind of Star Wars stuff was yeah. starting to just like overly color your overall opinion of ryan johnson and i thought i had a feeling ryan johnson might come up during this episode <laughs> so i did a little bit of research and i i kind of maybe this is tucked away in the back of my head but i i did a, a search on your facebook profile to see how much uh. we talked about ryan johnson <laughs> and i was reminded that before you know last jedi came out you were you seemed like quite the ryan johnson fan uh, I, I found was. an old comment from you where you talked about how you were like you were very excited about him being given a Star Wars movie, and you said yes. you were more you were like um, you were more confident about him doing Star Wars than J.J. Abrams. Oh, you yeah. were talking to other people on your page about how you're like, oh, Brick is really good, but his best film is Looper. Yeah. So I was just kind of me and you have argued about Ryan Johnson so much in recent years. Was, it was kind of fun to see how much you used to like him. But well, well, I'll I'll go a step further, and I'll I'll just be completely honest. Um, you know the, the like i mean you know the sequel trilogy trilogy has been quite traumatic for me but like i still maintain that as much as i dislike the sequel trilogy to me the the biggest and worst blow was the force awakens and it kind of just like you know basically just not being original but yeah. like i was kind of so like after that movie i was like okay like it was you know, it recreated a lot of shit, which I don't like. I don't like when you do sequels and you just recreate shit from previous movies. It's lazy. It's like, quite frankly, it's boring to me. Like, I don't know how you blow up a Death Star in part seven of a movie when you just blew up a Death Star in part six and four of a movie series. But like, and then come back and do it again in part nine. I, I, oh god, exactly. But it was like, like my thing was like, dude, like I was a thousand percent, a thousand percent. I will fully admit it. I thought Ryan Johnson was going to save Star Wars. And, like, to most people, like, they're, they're like, oh, yeah, I was on board with TFA, and it was great, and blah, blah, blah. And, I was, and, and then Ryan just came and ruined everything. Well, like, I don't really see it that way. Like, to me, like, if you wanted to argue, like, he had, like, a like next to George Lucas, maybe, he, he probably made the biggest artistic statement in Star Wars. Mm -hmm. But that sequel trilogy was already broke, and he just kind of stepped in and did his, like, little chapter of it, and then he stepped out of it. Like, whether you love, hate, 
in between on that movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. To, to, I me, mean, to me, the distaste came more from the, the fallout of that movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like his part and other people's part. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, uh, I mean, it's not, but yeah, I, I mean, I agree to the point. I mean, the thing I love about The Last Jedi is that it, it did feel like someone making this kind of artistic statement about Star Wars. And I agree mm-hmm. that, that I had this brief moment where I thought, oh, this is like they're brave enough that this is what they're going to let it be now. Right. right. And then and then and, you know, for a lot of reasons, uh, you know, obviously they kind of chickened yeah. out on that. Um, I, I do wish that he had just been allowed to write or had been kind of, you know, convinced to write the next one to, you know, have there be like more of a natural follow up. Um I don't know. Have you have you read the, that? Have you ever read that Colin Trevorrow script, the the discarded one? I've just read articles about it that talk about the highlights, but I've never really. And like, I don't know if recently have you seen the the like the whatever concept artwork that came out of it with yeah, the, like the yeah, giant I, battles. It looks amazing. Yeah. No. I like. I was. Uh, you know. I I really think they screwed up there because I really like the the Trevorrow script. I have a copy of it. I've read it, and I do think it would have been. Um, I don't know. I, I honestly think if that film had been made, I think a lot of the the kind of anger that we still see about Last Jedi would have dissipated because I think that movie would have done a nice job of kind of, um, you know, giving us a more natural conclusion to the things Ryan right. Johnson was setting up. And it's just weird to me that they tossed it all aside for for the next Abrams one. But. Well, I, I mean, to me, the way I see it with with Force Awakens, Abrams he he delivered a, like a, a kind of you know a, a pretty on the outside like present they had nice wrapping and paper but the inside was like a little stale and rotten yeah and then ryan johnson kind of came in and like i like i won't i don't know like i i I don't know how to phrase it but like because force awakens was set up so much for the most part like a mystery box movie you know big fucking surprise there thank you jj uh Like, I just look at it as, like, Ryan Johnson. It's like, what do you do when, like, you're, you're doing the middle part of a trilogy and you, you've you had pretty much nothing handed to you? Like, nothing concrete. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's the part of the conversation. See, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that, go because I feel like that's the part that it, it annoys me that people never bring that up, especially when they're, like, criticizing The Last Jedi. And it's like, well, look what he was given to work with. I mean, yeah. you know, people, like, criticize his take on Luke, but it's like, look how J.J. Abrams set up Luke, you know? And J.J. Abrams is, like, so, such a coward. <laughs> But he's like yeah. kind of you can tell he's like afraid to write the Luke Skywalker character. You know, he didn't want to yeah. give him any dialogue in the first one. Then he was like afraid to do anything with him in the third one. Um, he disregards even, you know, the last Jedi ends with Luke Skywalker saying, see you around kid to Kylo Ren. And we get no scenes between them in, <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> in Rise of Skywalker. I'll You're tell right. you, in the, in, the, in the Trevorrow script, which I loved, I think you might have heard this, like Luke is like a, a force ghost that haunts Kylo Ren the entire film. It's like following yeah. him around and bothering him. And that's great, you know, and, and just it's just weird how Abrams is like so afraid to even touch that character. Um, and yeah, I just set up all these questions with no answers and then literally just handed it off to Ryan Johnson said, here, you figure it out. And that's I don't know, like you got it like Johnson did what he could, you know, I mean, I mean, my my biggest thing, because like, you know, like when I first saw because I, I felt very underwhelmed when I saw Force Awakens. I felt very underwhelmed when I saw Last Jedi. It was like like Last Jedi kind of like like my biggest if you if you really want to know my biggest critique with with Ryan Johnson's Last Jedi it's like why the fuck did he have it like pick up like the next day? To me that always kind of like crippled and handicapped the epicness of that trilogy. But like more than anything I'm just like even if I would like obviously I think Rise of Skywalker should have been avoided at all costs in terms of what they end up making. But if if I even like as cool as the Trevorrow shit is, the little bit that I heard, and I mean I don't I don't mean like it's cool, cool, it's fucking great, but like it's it's you know it would have been serviceable at least it sounds like. 
But even if I would have had like 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 if I could have just backed up a Brinks truck to make whoever wanted to do it do it, like I would even pick Ryan Johnson to do part nine over Trevorrow in all honesty. Because like at the yeah. very least, it's like okay, like Ryan Johnson releases Last Jedi, like you know half of the world or whatever you want to say, like you know a vocal uh section of the fan base comes out and crucifies him for it at least hear the fucking guy out and see what he would have done you know what i mean like yeah but yeah but no like knives out like the gross out humor like for the most part in the in the uh the the climax i was just like i felt like i was watching an a-list like picture and i was just like this is kind of like and kind of kind of to go back to my second part of the other movie i watched this week is like there's something about Ryan Johnson's personality and it's, there's, there's no, I just want to state that there's no lack of talent with this guy by any stretch of the imagination. It just, he has like, I would call it like a prankster streak. Like, mm-hmm. like, like, like you can see it a little bit in Last Jedi and I know there's the whole, like, uh, I, I know people are like all subverting expectations. I, I see it more as like, he's, he's kind of like doing a cat and mouse game with you the whole time during last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Like he's kind of hinting that this or this could go this way. And then somehow it just never does. And something else comes up and it hints that this or this could go this way. And then, and, and to be fair, like I think all three of those sequel trilogy movies kind of did that on, on a level, but like, yeah, like I almost feel like, I don't know. Like I, I, I guess, I guess like me personally, like knives out, like even though I enjoyed the humor in it, it worked more to me as like actually a straight up drama. And I like I wonder if that's like even more my like taste coloring. Like my like like was I supposed to be laughing the whole time? Because like there was like a lot of like times when I was like I was really wrapped up into the um, you know the acting and stuff. And I was mm-hmm. just like I was like it worked for me on a dramatic level like a hundred percent. And then like the ending got got a little sticky too much for my taste. And I'm kind of like. I, lo- I like genuinely loved like 80% of this movie and like the 20% that I didn't like I'm kind of like I don't know I don't know how rewatchable it is for me because a it's, it's a mystery and you know the mystery the second time around you watch it but b it's just like yeah there's kind of just that gross scene at the end and I'm just kind of <laughs> like but I yeah. will say like the final shot you know like uh yeah like the way the movie's in I was like now that's how you end a movie that's yeah that's yeah. cinematic you know feeling and everything um man i i i i I have to say i love our girl jamie i wish she could uh break free of this michael myers tyranny (laughs) but um, yeah just not to spend too much time on it but real quick so okay i was like you know i walked away like not a mixed experience like of like you know oh like you know i like it was bad but like i i came i came off of um knives out on like for the most part such a high but i'm like why was there so many parts of it that I love so much and then other parts I didn't, whatever? So I was like, I want to dig around like on this guy. And I'm just like, why does he kind of do these little pranksterish things as a filmmaker? So I like I finally went back in the one movie in his filmography I never saw the next night I watched Brothers Bloom. Mm-hmm. And like and then I like I kind of feel like I got this bigger picture of this guy in that like nothing adds up. <laughs> <laughs> like this guy is a chameleon. Like if you watch all his movies back to back, like I feel like like Brothers Bloom is like to describe it, it's it's almost like a toned down version of like a Wes Anderson quirky yeah. film. Yeah. Like like I feel like it's you know, it's influenced, but it's but it's it's more like the the humor is toned down a bit and it and it has more of a uh kind of breezy, almost like nineteen sixties French wave sensibility about it. 
And I actually, like, it was a little weird. Like, there was times where the movie was paced, like, kind of quick, like, kind of choppy. Like, almost like he was told to shorten it down. And there's other parts where the movie really breathed. And at first I was, like, not buying at all the, the, just the brother pairing of um, Ruffalo and uh, Adrian uh, Brody. But, like, by the end of the movie, like, especially, you know, not giving spoilers away to people who haven't seen it, because I don't think anybody's really seen Brothers Bloom. Like, I really enjoyed, like, the way it wrapped up and kind of the whole message, because it's kind of like, it, I mean, like, it's it's all about these two guys who are con men, and they're kind of, like, pulling out, you know, Adrian Brody's tired of the common life. They've been doing it as brothers since they were little kids. There's, like, a nice little charming, almost fairy tale beginning of the movie that's narrated by the great... uh Ricky J and like it just was such a charming movie but I'm like he definitely had his humor but I didn't feel that like that little like needling like pranksterish like vibe from it all like like if you show me back to back Brothers Bloom and Knives Out like I probably wouldn't like think like I would think both movies were made by like an independent film director but I wouldn't really think that like they were made by the same guy so like yeah, that's I'm, interesting because I, I agree. I mean, I, I can't. I'm trying in my head. I'm just picturing like you know watching like Brick Looper, uh-huh. Knives Out, Brothers Bloom, and you're at that. There's not a clear like directorial style through no. line there. Yeah, um, yeah. Brothers Bloom is the one that I like the least of his films, probably. Yeah. And it's and it's I, I kind of have the same sense where like I, I I when you said the thing about Wes Anderson, that's so dead on. Yeah. And I'm it's it's. But I, but to me, it's like the worst Wes Anderson movies, right? right? Like it's like Darjeeling Limited. Like maybe these guys just need to keep away from Adrian Brody. Something about him um, just gets these guys to be more up their butts than usual, or something. Because uh, I don't even like I, like I don't hate Brothers Bloom. I just felt no. like it was it was the it was the least successful of his films I've seen for sure. Um, but yeah. Uh, and, and and by the way, I like especially watching the movies back to back. I almost feel like. Um, like now i understand rose tico being pushed to the kind of forefront of last jedi the way she was i feel like that was his uh apology to asian actresses after what he did with the <laughs> boom boom character and the brothers Rinka, boom. yeah Rinko Kikuchi, yeah. yeah it's just like very likable character but if you ever want to see something that's a stereotype oh boy <laughs> Yeah, I think the only like through line to Brian Johnson is I think he's one of those filmmakers like a Tarantino or Edgar Wright who has a lot of influences and loves like all these like old movies and classic movies and classic genres. And he wants to like put his imprint on all of them, right? He wants to, before he leaves this earth, he wants to make a movie in every like realm of everything he loves. So right. you can see him like trying to do everything. Um, and that can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. And I think, you know, uh, it all depends on what opportunities he's given. It sounds like now he's just going to be a Knives Out world for like a, a while, you know, uh, with this like huge, crazy Netflix deal he signed. Um, yeah. So just, just before we, we finally put Ryan Johnson to bed, what's your thought yeah. on that deal? I don't, I kind of don't get it. And I, I'm not super happy about it. I just, you know, like you, Goat, I'm, I'm sure you kind of agree that as someone who really liked that series and was excited about, you know, it, it continuing, because I think that's like a perfect kind of franchise where all you need is Benoit Blanc back. And I really like Daniel Craig as that character. And I, I like the idea of just seeing him solve different mysteries and always getting an all-star cast. But, you know, now these are going to be Netflix movies. And that, to yeah. me, just like instantly devalues them. And they're not going to seem like a big deal, you know, so... People might, I'm sure we've talked about this in previous episodes, but like one of our early conversations about Knives Out back in the day was, you know, me and you had this kind of disagreement about how successful that movie was going to be. And then I think even though like I was kind of more like, I think it's going to be a hit. I don't think either of us were expecting it to be the hit it was. No. And I think one of the best stories about Knives Out was it came at a time where we were all like very kind of depressed and unsure about the future of mid-budget movies. 
And the fact that this movie, you know, went on to make over 300 million and just stuck around the box office for so long. I was excited to see like a movie like that become a franchise. And then it's like, oh, but by the way, now from now on, it's going to be on Netflix where it's going to get dumped, get talked about for one weekend and then be forgotten because it'll be out of the algorithm by, you know, the next Tuesday. And that's that's a shame. I think I think it's too bad that uh, I, I I don't just begrudge him for taking the deal. But I don't know that even like that deal, when you look at how much he got paid to make two movies for Netflix, two Knives Out sequels, that's like less to me than I think those sequels maybe had a chance to make in a theater. I don't know. Yeah, like, like, okay, th- this is my thoughts on it, and I'm wondering what you think about this, Trev. Is like, so at first they're like, it's a very precarious deal because, like you said, it's just taking box office out of the equation. Mm-hmm. But basically, this is really weird. I believe the overall number is 450 million for yeah. two films. The only requirements of the films is that each film have the same budget that the original Knives Out. So like, they don't want him just like to po- basically pocket 200 million dollars. <laughs> So that's condition number one. The first movie was made for forty million. So out of the two hundred fifty million, or or what? No, what is it? Four hundred fifty million? Yeah, four hundred fifty. Yeah, okay, four hundred fifty million. Out of four hundred fifty million, he only has to spend roughly eighty-two million, you know, in budget. But also the second condition is that he needs Daniel. Well, not he, but Netflix requires that Daniel Craig be in both films, which I would imagine Daniel Craig's got his hand out, like big time so i mean obviously you know that's going to eat up a bigger chunk of the budget but it's it's really weird it's pretty much just like you deliver us to like like you know i don't know whatever known movies two sequels and it's like you you make the movies for this and then you guys can just split the money however you want which i don't have a problem with that i mean good for him as a creator he leveraged that deal to where like I'm, I'm pretty sure this is going to be out of all his projects throughout his move, his career. I'm sure this is by far the biggest windfall uh, yeah. financially. So I mean, good for him. I mean, Fetty Halliver has kind of did the same thing with his movie a couple years ago. Um, but like, where I really started thinking of it, because I mean, but yeah, it's like everybody wants money. Don't get me wrong, and I'm sure Ryan Johnson was like, oh, this is you know our chance to leverage this into whatever. But I think more than anything was I think he really wanted to make this a trilogy. And by doing this deal is because, like you said, like we kind of argued. I was like, oh, Knives Out, like, you know, probably won't be successful because nobody goes to see mid- these little, you know, smaller movies anymore. I think he did this because he's like, this is the way that like 1000% proof guarantees like I'm going to get to do two more of these. Like, whereas like you make part two and then you got to wait and it's like. I personally, well, again, you know, take what I say with a grain of salt because I didn't think the first movie was going to be successful. I don't know if that lightning could strike twice for Knives Out theatrically. So I think maybe, and like you said, like you're giving up box office revenue, which, you know, that's, that's, that's not a given. That's a, you know, bird in the hand mm-hmm. is worth two in the bush type situation. But also, like you said, like these movies are going to dissipate from public consciousness is way quicker because yeah. because knives out i don't know if you remember this Trev, but but amazon paid a shitload to get knives out pretty quickly on amazon prime yep and there was a whole second round of television advertising for that so like to me that movie is like really in the public consciousness like you know yeah yeah i mean i agree like and i've definitely seen people say the, the opposite of what i just said and it kind of ties into what you just mentioned but people saying well well who knows? The second one might not have been a hit, especially since we we still don't know really how the box office is going to recover from COVID in general. Yeah. But I don't know. There is that part of me that just wishes he'd been more willing to like roll the die on that and and you know take that old school risk of saying, well, let's just still try this theatrical and maybe it won't be as big of a hit. But he gave it the old college try, right? And it's and right. that's just the part of me that wants. 
I don't know, still wants theaters to matter, you know, and yeah. doesn't want these to just be fucking Netflix movies that, that will just come <laughs> exactly. and go. And, and, even, and I, might even, I might even be more okay with it if it was like HBO Max that made the deal or something, just because right. I feel like they treat their original properties with like more respect. I really feel like just Netflix, yeah. they just Netflix don't Netflix don't get it. You know? they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're tech people, Trev, who got in the movie business. They're not yeah. movie people. So, All right. Well, I, yeah. I got. You want me to? Uh, I got yeah. a quick one. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. So this is just. I'm just kind of curious about your feelings on not even like a genre, but a region and a particular time. And I think uh, this is going to come to no shock to you because you've heard me talk about this in the past. But I've spent a lot of this year watching um, Italian movies of the '70s, and in particular, um, the subgenres of spaghetti western, uh, poliziotti, which are Italian crime and uh, you know police movies, and um, giallos. And I'm just kind of curious, Goat. I mean, again, I think this is something that, you know, we've touched on here and there. I know you, I mean, I know you like some Argento films and stuff, but I'm just kind of curious where you fall into, are you, a, like, do you ever go out of your way to watch, like, kind of these Italian genre films of the 70s? You know, obviously, they're also known for doing, like, a lot of, like, Mad Max and Escape from New York ripoffs. Right. Um, and just, like, a lot of ripoff cinema in general. But uh, but I love it. Like, I love all that Italian stuff. I mean, the soundtracks are always fantastic. you got these cool filmmakers like Enzo G. Castellari and Lucio Fulci and, you know, uh, Margaretti and these guys, uh, Argento, even Bruno Mattei, who makes, like, total trash, but such entertaining trash that are just, like, complete ripoffs of movies, right? Um, but, you know, these, like, these these Poliziotechi movies that were all kind of trying to cash in on Dirty Harry and French Connection uh, and then, like, the Spaghetti Westerns. Are you into any of this stuff? Like, I'm just curious, like, is, is that, like, a realm that you've visited very often? And if not, I can throw some recommendations out or just... Where, yeah, where you, like, yeah, like, hit me up to some stuff because I feel like I've barely scratched the surface. Like, I very much in the early DVD era when Anchor Bay was putting a lot of shit out on DVD, like, that's when mm -hmm. I discovered Argento big time. And, like, you know, I, I, I've seen a handful of Fulci. But, I mean, pretty much, like, the horror stuff. Like, the only, like, you know, other than, like, spaghetti westerns from, like, way earlier, like, Clint Eastwood era. You know, and a little bit of Franco Nero stuff. But, I mean, I haven't really dipped my toe in. But, like, one thing I, I do like, and this is kind of, like, my favorite thing, is I like the ones that they make. Like, these kind of Italian genre films. I like the ones that they make where they're, like, set in the U.S., so like mm -hmm. so like you can clearly like tell from the like the city and shit that like they shot this in US and they usually shot them in New York a lot of them but like my favorite yep. one is like corrupt with a uh, Harvey Keitel and Johnny Rotten which it's like okay no american would put those two guys in a movie and it's just like this bizarre like fucking weird like nightmare it's like basically Harvey Keitel is a corrupt cop and he you know he's doing all this stuff and he kills his partner and this this like punk kid kind of like you know get some information on him and tries to blackmail him and then he takes him hostage but like there's there's like the moment that sums up that like why i love their shit so much so it's like kind of like in the movie all this these like corrupt things harvey Keitel has been doing he's actually stockpiling money to buy this like i forget where it is but it's like you know it's like upper west side whatever like fancy apartment that like no cop would like ever really be able to afford you know what i mean and it's mm -hmm. like it's like mostly empty but there's kind of like in the, in the living room or whatever where the window is there's like uh there's like a chair and there's like a little table there and then he has a record player in there and I love it that it's like, okay, like, you get it. Like, this is this guy's sanctuary. Like, he doesn't live there full time or anything. It doesn't seem like it seems like he just visits it. And, you know, like, like, it's just kind of like his thing that he's going to have after he retires and stuff. And, like, he goes there and, like, Harvey Keitel sits in this chair and, you know, he cuts a cigar and he's smoking a nice cigar. I can't remember if he just got out of the shower or what happened, but he's, it's like he's, like, relaxing at the end of the day. 
And then Harvey Keitel, Mr. Brooklyn himself, he goes over to the record player. You know, he puts a record on, which, you know, as we know in filmmaking, like, you know, a guy fake puts on a record on, they put in the song later. Well, this fucking Italian director has Harvey Cadell sit down and listen to, like, the most twangiest banjo country music. <laughs> As Harvey Cadell sits there smoking his cigar in his fucking fancy New York apartment, he's listening to twangy banjo music. And, like, that's what I love. And, like, I kind of like it when, like, Choi Hart did A Better Tomorrow too, and said it in the U.S. Like, I, I love that aspect of it, but especially Italians. It's like, they never quite get it. It's, like, lost in translation. You know what I mean? Like, I love I love seeing the weird, like, mirror universe that they that they put, you know, in U.S. settings and stuff in their films. Well, I can – so I'll, I'll, I'll throw out just three quick recommendations in this – because I'll just talk about the like, three of the ones that I've watched this year that I, I love the most. Um, one is Spaghetti Western and the other two falling more into the Polizia Tecci realm, which is the, uh, the uh, you know, Italian crime and, and gangster police movies. Um, so for spaghetti westerns, you know, I think most people, when they think of Franco Nero, obviously their mind kind of defaults to Django. And I mean, I love Django. I think it's a great. Have you seen Django, the original? Yeah, the where he drags the coffin full of the yeah. big machine gun. Yeah, <laughs> and I, you know, I love it's. I love it. It's like a really fun movie. But yeah. so I just recently, for the first time, watched um, Kioma, which is a spaghetti western he made, directed by uh, Castellari, Enzo Castellari. And in fact, all three movies I'm going to recommend are Castellari. Uh, so Castellari is a director I've just fallen like in love with even more this year. I already liked him, but I've really, I'm doing this like huge deep dive on him now. And Kioma is a 1976 spaghetti western. Um, so Franco Nero plays the main character, who's named Kioma, Kioma Shannon, and he's um, he's an ex-Union soldier. So the Civil War has recently wrapped up. And he's returning from the war back to his hometown. But the thing with Kioma is he's half white and half Indian. So, you know, he's kind of always grown up with this kind of, you know, hovering over him. You know, people kind of, uh, you know, that's not, a, that's not a good thing to be in this time. Right. And he kind of com- comes back to his hometown and discovers that while he's been gone, this like, you know, kind of corrupt gangster has taken over the town. And in fact, his brothers, uh, his half brothers are working with this gangster. So the story behind Kioma is that his dad kind of, you know, went off on this adventure and ended up having sex with this Indian and he was born of it. And then the dad brought him back and raised him with these two brothers. The two brothers always hated him, always like looked at him as like this half breed that they didn't like, but the dad like loved all three of them equally. And now these two brothers have, have joined with this, like uh, this tyrant who's taken over the town and Kioma comes and gets involved in like this, this war with them. So this is like a really interesting film. Cause it's got this kind of strange, somewhat supernatural quality to it to where Kioma is actually like always being visited by this like apparition of an old woman who is kind of I think the credits call her the witch but when you watch the film you kind of get the sense that she maybe represents death in fact Uh, and she's constantly talking to Kioma and trying to ask him why he's going back to this town and why he's trying to get himself involved and she's talking about you know he he was like the only survivor of this like his his village was basically the Indian village where his mom was raising him was massacred and his dad rode up and found him there as the only survivor and this woman, this like woman who represents death is saying, you know, like, I, I saved you from that. Why are you trying to throw this away? You know, um, but it's just, got, you know, like, like one of those kind of, you know, typical spaghetti westerns got a great it's got a very interesting score. I've seen a lot of people really put off by the score and kind of laugh at it. And I get it because it has this interesting soundtrack to where oftentimes the songs will literally narrate what you're seeing happen on screen. And that is very goofy and very funny. But <laughs> I did. I, it did make me laugh every time. And I kind of enjoyed it. But I just think it's such it's such a magnetic performance from Franco Nero, and I actually ended up liking it more than Django. I think it's like a really kind of um, I don't want to say it's super under underappreciated because Arrow did put out like a really nice like big Blu-ray set of it, so clearly right. it, it has a following. It's just one that I kind of got late to, 
but I, I do think it should be more in the conversation up there with Django and with like some of the better known Sergio Leone movies is like a, a spaghetti Western definitely worth checking out. So I, Kioma is one I definitely recommend. Dude, it, it, it's so bizarre that, that you brought that up. Cause like literally like three or four nights ago, I, n- I never heard, heard of the film three or four nights ago. My buddy knew in a private thing was like, he was watching it and he was t- and like, he's been a fan of it for years and he was telling me all about it. And he said the exact same thing. And he's like, it's better than Django. And like, I looked the trailer up the other night and like, it does look awesome. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, definitely check it out. And then and then the two Pletsiachachi ones I'll or recommend. So I'll start with um, The Big Racket. So The Big Racket is a 1976 uh, Enzo G. Castellari movie, which stars Fabio Testi, who uh, is another, like, he's, uh, I would say to me, he's like kind of the, the second actor I associate with this this whole era in Italy after Franco Nero. And uh, he, and then um, Vincent Gardini is in this as well, who you might remember from like Little Shop of Horrors. And, you know, he's definitely like kind of like a, a recognizable character actor. He's the guy that like ran the flower shop in the Rick Moranis uh, version of Little Shop of Horrors. But uh, so Fabio Testi plays this like inspector who's basically trying to take down this gang of hoodlums who are doing like, a, you know, it's called the big racket. They're doing an extortion racket on all these like local shops. They're basically like, you know, making them pay protection money. And he's trying to um, convince all these people that are being like, uh, you know, extorted by this gang to like testify. And none of them want to. They're all very, very scared. And what this movie does that's very interesting is, you know, for the first half, it's a, it's a pretty entertaining, like, Italian, you know, gangster movie with this one cop trying to, like, you know, get these people to, you know, finally testify. And then just no one does want to. And then it keeps ramping up and ramping up. And, and eventually the gang starts really taking, you know, it out on these people and these, like, local shop owners. And the second half of the film turns into this bizarre revenge action movie where Fabio Testi, this slight spoiler here, but as often happens in these kind of cop movies of the 70s, he kind of gets in trouble for taking things too far and he gets kind of kicked off the force. And he still wants to take down the mafia. So he recruits all these regular citizens who have been um, brutalized by the mafia. Like, so this one character, like, they raped his daughter. And he recruits him. And then another guy, um, he got himself involved into a police shootout and ended up helping the police and shot some of the gangsters. And they retaliated by killing his wife. So Frank, so Fabio Testi uh, recruits all these like regular people and they form this kind of like Dirty Dozen-esque squad to go take out the mafia. And it ends in like one of the craziest, most over-the-top uh, action <laughs> shootout spectacles you'll ever see and that's that is one thing that's true of a lot of these italian movies is um they're usually pretty entertaining and very fun but a lot of them kind of have underwhelming endings that is not the case with the big racket if you love action you will just fall in love with like the last 10 minutes of this movie where it just turns into this gigantic warehouse shootout between the mafia and testi and this like gang he's put together so that's what I would definitely recommend. And then the biggest recommendation I have, my favorite uh, Pleziotacci um, movie. Uh, so that, that, for people who don't know, that's just the term for like these Italian crime movies. Oh. But my favorite one is one I definitely want to bring up because it ties into something you and I just recently did our commentary for Death Wish 3. Yeah. And I might have mentioned that uh, my favorite Italian crime movie is a 1974 Enzo G. Castellari movie starring Franco Nero called Street Law. And I think I told you that, like, oh, if you haven't seen Street Law, I mean, you got to get around to it. So Street Law is a movie that it came out the same year as the first Death Wish. And people often you'll still see people saying, is that just a Death Wish ripoff? But it's one of those things. It's like Dread and the Raid, right? They're both being right. made at the same time and kind of hit the same time. But it's, it's very similar. Franco Nero plays this like regular guy as a businessman. I'm not even sure we're ever really told what his business is. It doesn't matter. But uh, he's just this regular guy who he ends up getting um, he's in a bank when he gets robbed. And the whole movie makes the point about how at this time in Italy, and that's why there were so many of these movies. At this time in Italy, it, Italy was like super dangerous. Tons of crime on the street. Uh, the mafia was just like going, you know, it was just all over the place. A lot of um, 
shootings out in public, a lot of uh, muggings where people would uh, run up on a woman on a motorcycle, grab her uh, purse and just pull it away from her and drive off. And we see all that happening at the beginning. And Franco Nero plays this regular businessman who's in a bank when it gets robbed. He tries to grab some of his money back when they're not looking. And they see that and they brutally beat him and take him hostage. And then they take him on this like ride as, you know, in this police chase and then just like beat him up again and leave him. And this emasculates him and humiliates him so much that he decides to take it upon himself uh, to track them down and try to get revenge because the police are no help. And what's interesting about this is, is just like we said, is like what's what makes the first Death Wish so compelling is that this is a revenge film starring someone who's not very good at revenge. Right. Like Franco Nero does not just turn into a badass. In fact, he kind of keeps making the situation worse over and over and over again. And that's like pretty interesting. And what and then the film really gets this like unexpected emotional heart when to try and find who these gangsters are or these criminals are who beat him up. He kind of hatches this plan where he recruits this like young crook, this young like um, gangster, uh, up and coming gangster. And basically is trying to force him to help him find this this like bigger gang. And the thing is, he starts to discover that this this young punk that he's recruited named Tommy, played by Giancarlo Prete, is actually this kid who's like kind of got a good heart. You know, he's he's trying he's doing all this. He got sucked up into the criminal world. He's trying to just pay to go to school. And Franco Nero starts to kind of like him. And this interesting like relationship to develop between the two of them where, you know, here he is working with this criminal, but he's realizing this criminal's not so bad. The criminal, this Tommy keeps trying to convince him, like, why are you doing this? You're gonna get yourself killed, you shouldn't do this, just stay out of it. And so it becomes this interesting buddy movie between the two of them. And again, it has like a you know a pretty exciting uh, finale. Not as exciting as the big racket, but the movie overall, it's the movie that made me fall in love with Italian crime movies. Um, I love it. I think it's like it's one of my favorite revenge films. Awesome soundtrack. Great performance from Nero. So, yeah, those are three recommendations. And I'd say definitely check those three out. And then who knows? Maybe I'll recommend some more some other time. Yeah, I definitely would like to actually watch all three of those. Uh, Street Law, like, fuck. (laughs) Ever since we watched Death Wish 3, like, don't get me wrong, it was a great time. But then Mm -hmm. I was kind of like, I almost wanted to go back and, like, uh, watch the original Death Wish. Because, like you said, like... It's kind of, like, better when, like, the movie is about a guy who really doesn't know how to go about, like, you yeah. know, getting revenge, and he's not really that, like, tough, and he kind of... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, have you ever seen uh, Blue Ruin, the Jeremy Stallonier movie? No, that's that's on my list of shame, and uh, mm-hmm. I've never forgotten it, and it's, like, always on my Netflix list, and uh, I've never I've never gotten around to it. Like, I've, I've literally, like, like, came, like, a hair away from, like, watching it so many times, but mm-hmm. I, I do want to yeah. watch it. Yeah, that might be the best ever, like, Revenge Gone Wrong movie. Yeah. But, um, yeah, cool. I definitely, I definitely need to check those out. And, uh, yeah, like, I don't know. I just, I just got stuck on the Italian horror shit. And I just never really, you know, other than, like, the older spaghetti westerns, like, I never really, like, realize there was more going on you know what i mean yeah no i mean and the horror was definitely my introduction to it you know like you know, like i got really into like you know argento and fulci and stuff and then by looking into them i found out that they did some movies or fulci did some movies in like other genres and then you know that's how i, I got pulled into this and i wanted to see more of these actors i started to really like franco nero and uh and yeah it's just uh, if you give me an italian genre film of the 70s uh, whichever genre it is i'm probably gonna dig it good but uh <laughs> So, like, uh, I guess moving on to the next next topic, um, Trev, I got to ask you: Have you been doing the HBO Movie Challenge? That's what I call it. All the the theatrical films that are on HBO uh, Max. Have you have you kept up with them all? 
<laughs> not all of them. So unfortunately, I and I this this is a shame for me. Like this was just I screwed up on, on my timing, but I I did I didn't see um, Judas and the Black Messiah, oh, wow. which I which I wanted to do, and I didn't, and then I didn't watch the Jared Leto one because uh, oh. no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wait, wait, but, you gotta expand on that. What's going on? Um, it just looked. I don't know. It looked like a movie that time traveled in from like the early nineties. And that's kind of like what I heard in terms of the vibe as well. And nothing, nothing I heard maybe like super excited to watch it. And Jared Leto is just an actor that at this point, I'm just kind of, I'm just so like not on the Jared Leto train right now. Um, I didn't know if I could deal with him like in that, in that movie. Um, So I don't know. I did. did, I mean, you can tell me in a moment if I was wrong, but in terms of the ones that have come out, um, you know, I did Wonder Woman 84, which I did not like very much. Um, me and my friends watched Tom and Jerry on a movie night as a, as a goof, and it was complete trash. Oh. Um, I watched Godzilla vs. Kong, and I did like that one. I, I liked that more than I expected to, because I hadn't really liked the legendary MonsterVerse movies up until that point, and that was the first one that I just had complete, unabashed fun with. And then uh, I didn't really like Mortal Kombat either. Wow. Um, I was pretty let down by that. So I'm not really holding this again. You know, it's it's just one of those things, I think, where a lot of the movies they had slated to come out are just movies that aren't really doing much for me. But, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to some of the upcoming ones. I actually, um, I don't know how you felt. I, I, I really thought the, I was kind of nervous about The Conjuring 3 since it's not Juan directing it. Yeah. But I thought the trailer actually looked pretty compelling. I thought it looked like cool. It, it, did, it did look different than the other ones. And I thought the, you know, I know it's just a trailer, but... Um, it looked better than I was expecting, and obviously I'm still, um, I mean, I'm still bummed that Dune is probably going to HBO Max, but uh, that's the one I'm looking forward to the most, because I'm a huge Dune fan. So, uh, yeah. But yeah, those are the ones I've seen, and those were my thoughts. The only one I really, really liked is Godzilla vs. Kong. Yeah, like, I'm trying to watch them all. I've seen them all so far, except Mortal Kombat. I haven't watched it. I was actually really hyped for months about Mortal Kombat, and then the mm-hmm. trailer came out, and I was kind of like, eh, I don't know. And then, yeah. like, then everybody was like... the. There were so many people, you know, I guess obviously it's our demographic, guys our age, Trev. There were so many people, it's like slobbering for weeks. Oh, Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat. Like, people even saying, like, they're going to go see it in the theater and all that. And it was like, the day it came out, everybody's like, oh, yeah, it's, it sucks. It sucks. And it, like, <laughs> yeah. it kind of killed my enthusiasm. Like, I'll definitely watch it before it leaves the 30-day yeah. window or whatever. But, like, yeah, it kind of, like, if anything, like, it just made me want to go back and rewatch the original. Goofy yeah, no, movie. and I, I still, the original holds up. I watched it recently and still dug it and i mean honestly like mortal kombat annihilation is complete garbage but it's entertaining garbage and that's what i thought was unfortunately missing from the new one like the new one was that kind of bad where i just found it like boring and i wish it was like worse you know because sometimes you want a movie to be so bad it just becomes fun and i didn't think this one did that yeah like like i mean i mean there's no really no reason to talk about wonder woman but uh I actually really like that Jarrett Leto one, and it's kind okay. of funny because uh, it looked like a, like well, first of all, the movie it looked like in the trailers, like I'm up for that. That's cool. But what I liked about it, and I'm kind of surprised that like people didn't really like give it like a little bit better marks than they did, was like without ruining everything. Like it's it's a movie that like I would say for I don't know for probably like. It's it, it's more of a meditation on those types of films than it is mm-hmm. like that actual type of film. So it's like, you know, for straight up for like the first half, it is what you think it's going to be like, oh, somebody's doing these murders. We got to catch them. We got to catch them. Oh, we think it's this weird guy. Blah, blah, blah. But like the second half kind of diverts and especially, you know, again, don't want to ruin anything because I don't think a lot of people have seen this movie yet. But it's like it kind of goes in direction you wouldn't expect maybe. And I felt like you know it it kind of had a good 
like it's really more of a, a like a character drama than it is a murder thriller if that makes sense mm-hmm. and uh yeah like a I character don't... drama about denzel or about jared leto uh honestly the jared leto you know like he's not that important to the story honestly uh-huh. i don't want to give spoilers away but um it's really it's really the process of the character drama i would say that the the two characters that matter the most are denzel and rami malik so like denzel was kind of like a former disgraced detective which like we don't really know why he's disgraced in, at the beginning of the movie and we find out and then Rami's like kind of the current hotshot that actually like detective that actually replaced Denzel in the department. So he kind of like brings him in like it's just a coincidence. Denzel happens to like kind of they kind of meet and like this crime through this murder spree is going on. So he kind of brings Denzel in, you know, because like, you know, and everybody's warning him like stay away from Denzel. You know, he's a fuck up. He's you know, he Denzel's kind of like left the major like L.A. area and he's kind of just like kind of just like a lame-ass sheriff out in the sticks now and stuff. And it's like, you know, because it's like the movie kind of has a theme and it's like, it's almost, the way it wraps up, it's almost like more in the vein of something like Zodiac than it is like David Fincher's Seven, if you know what I mean. And that's Mm -hmm. what I liked about it. Like, I was like, oh, I kind of didn't really expect it was going to go in this direction. And like, you know, I mean, it's good that people didn't really like spill the beans of like the ending and what happens and stuff. Um but it's like I'm kind of surprised everybody was like, "Oh yeah, that's just a serial killer." Oh yeah, it doesn't matter. Like I thought it, it it had a pretty interesting conclusion. So like, I mean, by no means like you know you know break <laughs> break down doors to go see it. But if it ever comes, you know, which eventually it will come back on HBO. Like mm-hmm. yeah, like yeah, I don't I don't think it's going to like. I mean, Jared Leto's like definitely like doing his weird guy act that you expect him to do. But it's like the movie goes in a more interesting direction. And for, like, yeah, like, I, it really sucks, man, because I think the best one that's been on there so far is uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. And um, I think it was honestly just, like, I rewatched uh, Get Out for the first time, uh, you know, since it was out. And, uh, like, maybe that weekend, a few days later, I watched Judas and the Black Messiah. And, like, yeah, man, like, dude, I am all about this pairing. Uh, and, I mean, it was very kind of incidental in Get Out, but, like, Dude, I think, I was thinking, like, I think Daniel Kaluuya and um, Lakeith Stanfield, like, dude, I think they're, the, like, the closest thing we have to a modern-day version of, um, you know, like, uh, like, De Niro and um, Harvey Keitel or, you know, like, maybe even De Niro Pacino. Like, I think these guys, you know, they're they're still pretty young guys. Like, I would love to see these guys continue to be paired up in movies for, like, a very long time. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's. I mean, hopefully, like, we'll see. Because, like, you know, we talked about how are the kind of films that you want to see them get paired up in going to keep being made? Um, how long can they just completely avoid only getting swept up into blockbuster land? Like, yeah. Sandfield in particular seems to be doing a pretty good job of avoiding that. Um, yeah. And that, like, you know, because I know Kalua, you know, is in the Black Panther franchise. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm missing. Maybe I'm forgetting something. But I, I don't feel like Lakeith has really jumped into like a giant franchise yet, right? Um, yeah, I mean, like probably his. Wouldn't you say his biggest movie box office wise was Knives Out, where he just kind of played a supporting role? Like, yeah, right. And I've yeah. seen people say like, is he going to be in the sequel? It's like, well, it doesn't really seem like it would make sense for him to be because no. I can't imagine every murder is going to be in like the same town. You know? <laughs> right. But, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't. I mean, yeah, I, I do like both of them as actors, and it'll be. I, I agree. I, I haven't even seen that film, but. Um, they're definitely both, you know, I like yeah. with Lakeith, you know, I like too that he he definitely seems to be 
you know, he made something like Uncut Gems, a smaller role at a time where he probably didn't need to do that movie, you right. know, and it felt like he just wants to be an interesting stuff. And then you look at something like, um, uh, oh, why is the name escaping me? Um, God, his really weird movie, the Boots Riley one. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I always want to say it's the hate you give, but it's not. It's um, it's the, uh, the uh, damn. No, it's just bothering me that I, because uh, it's a movie I liked a lot, too, and it's uh, killing yeah, and me. Yeah, it's like another movie I, I keep wanting to see, and I haven't gotten around to. Um, it, it's like Sorry Something, right? Sorry to Bother You. Yeah, yeah you. Sorry to Bother Ooh, You. That's exactly what it is. Thank, thank yeah. you, you said that. It's like, yeah, yeah. That, movie's, that movie's awesome. But that, again, that just shows that, like, yeah, he wants to do just, like, really cool, interesting stuff, and that's that's always a good thing. Yeah, like, like I don't... Um... Cause I honestly, as far as, cause like, you know, that's one of my main things is like, I bitch all the time is like, I don't really see, you know, like, like, like we kind of had this like period of the last 15 years or so where it's like, we're just all about like our younger actors coming up. It's just like, we only care about the ones that are like of the movie star quality, like, you know, mm-hmm. like a Chris Hemsworth or a Chaney Tatum or something like, and I don't think we've really been focusing on like the actor actors. And like, I was really like kind of blown away when I looked up like, like, so like, it's like uh daniel kaluuya he was like he got famous uh he's a british guy which i didn't even know for the longest time but he's like a british mm-hmm. guy who got famous doing a play that i believe was about a boxer and like he kind of like you know parlayed that into like a couple little film roles and then he got get out and he's kind of been rolling since then i didn't even know like Keith stanfield i didn't even know he's like actually a musician he's like a rapper and stuff and i'm just mm-hmm. like for these two guys, I mean, one's like, you know, like, I guess probably the, the you know, I don't know what the British equivalent of Broadway is, but he's like pretty much, one is like pretty much like a, a British Broadway type stage actor who's made the transition to film. And another guy is a, um, is a, like a musician turned actor. And I'm like, there's just something about those guys, like the little bit of time they had together and get out or like my favorite parts of that movie. And then obviously they have a ton of scenes together in uh, Judas and the black Messiah, but it's like, yeah, Judas and the black Messiah is great. Cause it just, it's really like a chronicle of these two guys and they're both like completely different, but like they're completely interesting. And like, I haven't really seen enough of the films of 2020 to even make any sort of comment about like who won the Oscars and whatever, but like yeah. it, it would not surprise me. Like, like, like if uh, Judas and the Black Messiah would have won Best Picture, like it wouldn't have surprised me at all. Like it was, it was that like powerful a movie. And like, I mean, obviously, like, you know, it's a, it's a film dealing with, um, stuff that happened in the black panther party and stuff but like i kind of loved it in a way that it like it was super powerful it was super emotional wasn't preachy i didn't want feel like i was watching like a modern preachy political type film it really kind of like took me back and reminded me of like the 90s like when like spike lee made malcolm x and all just that, that that type of filmmaking that like really i don't know just like gritty emotional biopic you know what i mean mm-hmm. but yeah so yeah so like also, too, like I know James Wan didn't do Conjuring Three because he's also got a. a I'm kind of I'm kind of glad he didn't because like I think like within a month or two of after Conjuring Three comes out, he's got his own original horror movie coming yeah, out. Malignant, yeah, yeah, yeah. And anytime Wan has like a new and like that's pretty cool to have a new Wan movie that we know like nothing about. You know, yeah. there's even been like people like there's been theorizing that it might be a Giallo actually based on some things he said, but people don't even know if that's the case. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool that like the same year we have a James Wan like new horror film we don't know anything about, and Edgar Wright is coming out with uh, his first like horror film with the, the Last Night in Soho, uh, which is like a kind of a horror thriller from what I understand. So I didn't even, I didn't even know he had a new movie coming out. Yeah, that's weird. 
Yeah, but I mean, not not to devolve because we we've already gone long a lot here. But I gotta say, like for the first time ever, um, I am like the most high on streaming because like everybody kind of complained that like oh, all these streaming services kind of came out and like now we gotta have all these subscriptions expensive. But like taking that uh, equation out of it, like I gotta say, like like I know these HBO movies we're talking about, these are kind of like theatrical movies that they just put there. But, like, stuff like the Snyder Cut and, like, some of the stuff that Netflix is doing now, like, I kind of like where streaming is going. There's, like, a lot of, like, alternative, like, content that doesn't really fit into, like, a traditional TV or, like, even, like, a Showtime or HBO type situation and doesn't even, like, fit into, like, a theatrical mode. So, it's, like, lately, like, I've just been watching a mix of, uh, you know, movies on Blu-ray, like, obscure movies that have been re-released on Blu-ray, there's a lot of obscure movies that float around on cable, like, I've kind of realized on these kind of cheaper movie channels that are out there, and then, like, the streaming shit, like, I have to say, it's, like, I think this is the best time, because it's, like, we have these different ways to watch movies, but they're actually kind of, like, they all hold different content, so it's, like, I'm I'm actually more of the, like the way of like I think shit is like brighter and better than it's ever been. You know what I mean? Like it's it's the plus and minus, right? Like I agree that there's a lot of interesting stuff. It, it's like you take the good with the bad. Like the bad is obviously what we were just saying to where there's just is something. I just saw someone tweet this and I can't remember the exact wording, but they they were making the point and I agree and I think you agree that a movie that debuts on streaming will just never have the kind of pop cultural clout that a movie yeah. with a theatrical release will have. And that's true of even a movie that comes out in theaters and bombs is still kind of more remembered by society than a movie yeah. that does well on streaming. I think, you know, you, 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 cause a movie that comes out and fails still a lot of money was put into advertising it. You know, you had the trailer playing in theaters for months. Then you have all these TV spots and you see, well, back in the day, you'd see like the newspaper ads and you'd see the posters out and about. And these movies would like kind of hang on in the consciousness, even if they didn't do very well. Right. But then I think of like these Netflix films that people genuinely like something like The Perfection, which was like a, a Netflix horror movie I loved or something like, um, you know, uh, Mike Flanagan's Hush um, or The Apostle with Dan Stevens. Uh, I, I don't know if you've seen um, The Night Comes for Us, this amazing no. like, martial arts movie on Netflix. This like super, it's from the, some of the, it's from the like the raid team. And it's got Joe Taslim and it's like the super, oh, and Eco Uwais is in it as well. It's a super bloody, super brutal kung fu movie that's just the shit. And it's like these movies are awesome, and then like no one talks about them after like a month, you know? I, <laughs> they just I know. Like, and they're always there on Netflix. They're always there to watch, but there's nothing about the Netflix algorithm which brings them back nope. up to the top, you know, at any time. So, it, it, I don't know. It just, yeah. I think what, you know, I think what streaming services like Netflix have to do is kind of figure out a way to kind of replicate what HBO and Showtime and Cinemax would do back in the day of kind of reminding you these films just by having them on. And I think Shudder has this, like, Shudder has this, like, clever... You know, when you first log into Shutter, the first thing comes up is Shutter TV, which is yep. just this channel that's showing a random movie. And, it, you know, you might be like, oh, OK, I've, I forgot about that movie. Maybe I'll sit here and watch it. Or at least that reminds me to check it out later. If not that, then at least do a thing where, like, at the top of the Netflix algorithm, every month, pick, like, 10 kind of older films and have it be, like, kind of a memory lane kind of thing or something. Right. Like, these are 10 movies we want to remind you of uh, just to kind of, like, let things cycle in and out of the consciousness. Yeah. And it's like I saw I saw a. um of like a video essay on youtube and like it was somebody who just like youtube recommended and i wish i would have a i wish i would have subscribed to the guy's channel but it was, it was kind of like a younger sounding guy and he's doing a video essay and he talked about there was a film i want to say it was a korean film a drama that prepared on that uh uh came out on netflix streaming like with no fanfare like this movie just 
it was just one of their dump you know hey we got fucking whatever 20 movies coming out this month nobody talked about it and it was like it literally took like six to seven months and and like 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 all these critics were raving about this movie and it was like and all this thing he was just like it took like all this time for like people to discover it and get behind it and kind of what he was saying it's kind of like what i feel like is true it's like he was saying like like it's it's up to us to make the film culture now because like what you said Mm -hmm. like the traditional ways of releasing a film for better or worse you know what i mean like it created a film culture well that doesn't really exist as strongly as it does now so it's like literally up to like in a weird way the fans to dictate what the film culture is now you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. and it's like kind of that thing of like yeah we kind of have to use like word of mouth now more than ever to get some of the shit you know like seen and known about like that's like kind of cool but also still frustrating right yeah and and like frustrating because of the way that it just seems like uh younger generations each generation cares less and less about cinema as like an art form um so it sometimes feels like we're fighting a losing battle to that to a certain degree um but yeah i don't know we'll see actually yes. this uh are you did you have more about this uh, no no Th- that was that this... was it it was just it, it, i was just gonna say like like the kind of like going back to what i said it's like you can like if you keep an eye of like these older movies that are coming out on blu-ray and then you keep an eye like what's on tv and then you keep an eye on like what's available on these streaming services like it's not really the lap over that you think it is so it's yeah. like I, I i know people are like going streaming only or some people, you know, there's like some people that don't really stream a lot and they just buy physical movies. But it's like, as a film like fan, especially as somebody who doesn't mind watching older movies, you kind of have to like dip your toe into every pond to really see where yeah. all the content is. You know what I mean? This is perfect because it fits right in. It goes right into my next point, the next my my next my main topic I want. And this is this can be brief now because we've already kind of hit on it. But yeah. the next thing I kind of want to ask you about is something we mentioned last time you me and you recorded. And I just was wondering if you want to talk a little bit about how as we're getting older, right, and we're starting to realize yeah. that we're never going to see everything we wanted to see. Yeah. I was just kind of thinking about talking about how do you prioritize at this point which movies you actually like watch, you know, in terms of especially like older stuff you haven't seen. Like what's your kind of – what's your like um, – your like protocol now in terms of hmm, uh, you know uh, is there anything where you're just like nah that's probably gonna get bumped off the list forever or you know how do you kind of go about it because i found myself i just kind of alluded to it right so what i've been doing this year in particular and in, in, like in like probably last year that started big time is i'll just get on these runs where i'll get into like oh i'm gonna really visit like a certain genre for a while now and i use that as an opportunity to catch up on stuff in that genre so like this year i've been watching like a lot like i said i did a, a big dive on a bunch of italian stuff and then for a moment there, I was watching, I kind of went back. I was like, you know what? I, I really like Jackie Chan. I haven't watched Jackie Chan in a while. And then I went down this like giant Jackie Chan like rabbit hole. You know, and was right. like watching a bunch of stuff again. And that's what's happening with me, right? I was just, instead of bouncing all around, there'll be like one actor or one director or one genre, which I'll kind of concentrate on for like a month or two. Um, so what's, what's, what's your like take nowadays? How are you prioritizing what to watch when you're realizing, shit, I'm not going to see everything I want to see. And there's just so much content now. Yeah. Like it's, it's really crazy. And then like to the point that I feel guilty that we subscribe to so much shit that I never watch, but I'm like always Mm -hmm. watching something, you know what I mean? Like it's not, so like I, I'm going to count this as one of my topics too. Like my last topic, Trev, I was going to say, how has your taste changed? And I was like, kind of talking about like like what do you like now that you didn't like or what like what what do you gravitate towards now because like mm, yeah. you know a a like you're an older person than you were i mean everybody is but like you're you know like you change like you know what your not what your taste is like what you really think is good but like you crave different things so like i'm gonna count that topic as part of this topic because it's kind of sure, like yeah. what you're asking me and it's it's really weird um so like 
I kind of do like the rabbit hole thing of what you're saying with like either directors. I mean, I mean, just like we said before, like I watched Knives Out and I'm just like watching that and thinking about that movie and what I liked and what I didn't like about that movie. That immediately be like, you know, instead of just moving on to my next piece of whatever, like I was just like, okay, now I'm going to watch this guy's other movie because like I really like I want to know more about this guy. You know what I mean? And it's like it's kind of like that, man. It's like. So first of all, first of all, like I have all these avenues, like I was talking about. I have literally, oh geez, man, I have I have probably seventy Blu-rays that I've bought in the last year that are like I have sitting out and like haven't watched piles, you know. And when I, so like I kind of mix it up by format in a weird way, so like not to feel guilty that I'm not like, you know what I mean, neglecting anything because all like literally all these things are costing me money. Like, I really wouldn't want to give any of these avenues up, like TV, disc, or streaming. So it's like, I kind of rotate by that. But then sometimes, like, I'll get, like, like you said, like, I'll be whatever. Like, I'll be like, I want to watch more of this. So, like, recently I watched a couple Sharon Stone movies. Uh, watched that movie Scissors we talked about. Um, then I watched, uh, the other night, I watched, uh, um, what is it called? Last, I think it's called Last Stand, or Last Dance. The one where she's, like, on death row. So, like, I go by directors... Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever but also too like i've kind of always had this thing trev where like i don't do well like every now and then i'll get on like a little kick and i'd say horror is the only one where i'll watch like maybe like four straight horror movies and then i'll have my fill but like i gotta rotate and it's weird like i gotta rotate by genre i gotta rotate by whether movies are new or old because i don't really like getting stuck in too much of a time period um like i would say definitely 80s 90s early 2000s are my sweet spot you know to retreat back into when i'm watching not watching brand new movies you know new release movies so it's like i always have this weird thing and in in going to the theater was exactly the same way was i always got frustrated like when i was a kid you know like summer movie season came and it was like no problem like let's just go see an action movie every single week and i was fine but like i can't do that as an adult like okay, I, I watch something big and dumb. Because, like, if I only stay in, like, one genre, then I start hating the other stuff. So it's, like, if I only watch, like, independent, kind of thoughtful, you know what I mean, lack of a better term, kind of smart stuff, then I start really hating the dumb, like, fucking, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like if I just sit around and watch art house movies, which, like, I probably could do for a while, like, then I'll really just be like, what's all this Marvel bullshit? Why, why are yeah. they, you know what I mean? Like, so, like, I rotate, man. Like, I really, like... I pretty much go from, like, bigger, like, newer stuff to, like, something small and intimate. Especially whenever, I, like, right after I watch a big, dumb movie. And even if I enjoy it, like, 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 like you know, we watched Godzilla vs. Kong a week ago. Really enjoyed the movie. Didn't have anything to really, whatever. But I immediately followed that up with Knives Out. So it's mm-hmm. like, like, that's really what it's like. To me, it's that constant rotation and I would get frustrated, like, uh, especially back when, like, MoviePass was a thing, and I was, like, going to, like, you know, at least two movies a week again, which is, like, what I always did growing up, because there was enough movies to see that way. Like, I always got frustrated. There would be, like, certain months where, like, three action movies would come out. It's like, well, that's great, and I love action movies, and I want to see all three of these action movies. I don't want to do them in a fucking row, you know what I mean? So it's, like, for me, it's, like... It, it's like I, I bounce back and forth between like the kind of the big budget kind of like simple kind of fast paced stuff and then I like I'll do like a slow paced drama or like or maybe throw in a comedy like I just I always need that like kind of, because if if I if I kind of break that rotation like I get out of movie watching and then like I'm not as engaged in it like that's what I've noticed 
It's interesting that you say the thing about rotation because I was actually been thinking about that. And just to your point, like this fact that I have all these streaming services with these like ever growing watch lists, I keep kind of yeah. neglecting and feeling bad about it. And I was just recently thinking that, and I, I've, I've flirted with this idea before and I've never committed to it. And I was like, you know what, this summer when I'm going to have like a lot more free time than I usually than I have recently, I'm going to try and actually commit to this and like make this rule and like put it into my phone, like a, a kind of a note or a list and say like what I watch next has to be determined to where, okay, now I do something off my Netflix watch list. Now something from my Amazon watch list. Now something from Hulu. Now something from Shudder. And then a Blu-ray I own and haven't watched yet. You yeah. know, and actually like yeah. follow that order and just tell myself like, no, if you watched Hulu last time, this time you got to go on Amazon and pick something, you know, and, I, and just keep weeding away these watch lists. But, but like I also said last time, I think I mentioned it's, it's just I, I finally have just coming more to peace with the idea that I'm not going to see everything I want to see. That's yeah. an idea that kind of frightened me when I was younger. And it was this idea of, you know, just trying to take in like everything. Right. Oh, uh, I love horror. So I better see every 80s horror movie and, and, and you know, and all stuff. And just uh-huh. now I'm finally just kind of accepted that's not the case. And it's just like there's just some things you're not going to see. And that's that's fine. You know, I'm letting it like not bother me as much anymore. To, and then finally, I'll just say to speak to your, your question about how has my taste changed. It's interesting because you kind of alluded to that, too, in that it's this is kind of, this has been going on for a couple of years now. But it's it, if you had told like 20 year old me and maybe even 30 year old me that 40 year old me would have not seen Solo or would have not watched Justice League <laughs> right. or wouldn't have seen Jurassic World 2. That would have like I'd be like no way like so definitely like you know I've always you know I've, I feel like I've always had a pretty eclectic movie taste and I've liked you know a little bit of every genre maybe except I mean you know rom coms isn't really my thing but yeah. but I've always mixed like the big action with the bit with the art house and with the smaller dramas and the character pieces and and pieces like that but I've really found myself more detached from like blockbustery kind of stuff recently in that. Yeah. There's a few franchises I like, and I'll stick with Marvel just because it's generally consistent and, you know, not all great, but at least decent. Um, you know, there's some other, like, you know, directors and stuff I'll get kind of, I'll still be with. But, like, if something, like, doesn't look at all very interesting to me anymore or, like, that compelling, I'm not just going to go see it just to see it, which is what I used to do, right? Yeah. Like, oh, every big summer movie, I better check that out. And, like, now I just kind of don't care. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll skip a lot of these big franchises. I'm not watching any Fast and the Furious movies anymore. I don't give a shit about some of these other upcoming like big deals you know i'll skip dc movies if they don't seem interesting it's just like whatever i've got plenty of other stuff to watch and i'd say that's the, my, the biggest change in my taste over the years i think maybe the only change is that i've been i've become more willing to not bother to see something just because i feel like it's part of the bigger you know natural national conversation about the biggest summer blockbuster or whatever whatever <laughs> like it's not worth it to, to bother with it well like 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 trev like don't you think a little bit because this is kind of the conclusion i've came to with like the big blockbuster type stuff don't you feel like a little bit because like i remember when a blockbuster movie was like a big fucking thing like i remember like when i was growing up like towards the late 80s to very early 90s there was like four to six true blockbuster type huge budget movies every summer. And then there was maybe three or four that were kind of like smaller movies masquerading as a big movie. Uh-huh. And then by the, I would want to say by the time I graduated high school, like the mid nineties to late nineties, then it seemed like there was like maybe double of that. Like there was like 12 blockbusters a year. And then mm-hmm. there was like the blockbuster that creeped out in March or January. And like now I feel like, like literally half the movies that come out in um like you know in a theatrical set well not even theatrical set even even at home like Netflix like 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 half the movies out are like these huge budget movies and they're all like I don't want to say they're like 
generic in a way that they're all exactly the same, but like they're kind of reaching the same kind of thrill level and they're always trying yeah. to excite you and like no, that's the case, and there's no variety, right? And I mean, yeah. like the, the kind of movies that were blockbuster movies when we were younger, would, there was such a variety there. Yeah. You know, you think of like an era when a movie like Con Air could be a blockbuster. Right. You know, that was like a movie that was like people were excited for that movie in the summer. You know, and mm-hmm. that's like a, that's like a dumb B movie. You know, I, I don't get me wrong, I love it, but that's what I mean. Like, or a movie like Speed. Can you imagine something like Speed, just this kind of singular weird movie about a guy on a bus with a bomb right. on it being sold as like a blockbuster today? Because like. It, it, it couldn't be because people have no. to look at it as like a franchise starter. I mean, I know it got a sequel, but obviously that's more at, of a case of like af, coming after the point. But yeah, all these movies today are just they are kind of the same. Like, I, I can admit that now, you know, we're just getting fed a lot of the same bullshit. And I mean, some of it's good. I mean, I, I still enjoy some of it. I'm not I'm not saying I'm immune to like the joys of just no. dumb CGI nonsense every once in a while. But right. I'm definitely more selective than I used to be. Yeah, and I think possibly CGI has created, like, a, a feeling or a level of sameness. Because, like, if you look at, like, a time period of, like, 1985 to 1995, it's like, yeah, like, a blockbuster movie could be Back to the Future. Or it could be <laughs> Jurassic Park. Or it, it could be Terminator 2. Like, you know what I mean? Like, those are all, like, wildly different movies. Well, I mean, I guess maybe Terminator 2 and Back to the Future are all about time travel. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, they're, like, different tones or different feels. And I feel like... You want to go till from like 2011 to 2021. Everything is just a big giant CGI monster robot or special powered superhero yeah. like destroying well, city blocks. You know, and I mean? it's all it's all IP exploitation too. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Back to the Future and Terminator. These were filmmakers trying to make the next big thing, not just trying to make the next installment in something that already exists. Yeah. And that that is that's definitely the bummer. I mean, this is like now we're definitely trotting in well worn territory, but I mean it's really sad that you just don't see like original scripts like back to the future being pushed as a potential blockbuster today. Um, that's, that's always going to be the thing that sucks. And I mean, that's, those are the kind of movies that maybe we'll get on streaming, but they're not going to enjoy that kind of cultural clout. Right. No, yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And it's like that thing of like, it's kind of, you know, until recently when like streaming really like in my mind kind of started to differentiate itself, like, okay, streaming is like, like, yeah, if you want to, you can sit down and you can turn on Disney Plus. You can watch Avengers Endgame if you want to. But it's like streaming has kind of become this like to me, it's like streaming has become this thing that's completely different than like the theatrical market or like the home video market. Like, you know, the movies that used to be made for home video, like they were a certain kind of thing. And like, I think streaming's like, you know, like like I think in a weird way is streaming's becoming the alternative to like as much as people think it's going to replace the theatrical experience, like maybe it will, maybe it won't, you know, we'll just have to see. But I think it's also too, it's like streaming is becoming that place where like the antidote to the box, (laughs) to the big budget, like Mm -hmm. multiplex poison. You know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of like, cause there's a lot of weird shit. Like I'm really surprised some of the weird, like, even if you look at the HBO max, like whatever originals, like, these are like such weird shows that I don't even think they would have ever like tried them on just regular HBO, the channel. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm just glad that we have these like different like avenues. Yeah. Which I gotta say, like uh, going on the 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 big budget thing. This was like my next topic, Trev. If you're ready to move on. Yeah, of course. This is just more like a quick like. Okay, what do you think about this? Trev, what what is your uh, opinions or feelings about uh, Marvel Studios uh, Blade? 
Boy, that's that is a tough one actually. I don't I don't know how to feel about it cuz this is str- this is strange cuz I'm going to probably sound like a hypocrite hypocrite to a certain degree here cuz I'm one of those people that always talk about like I don't really get like why people insist that Deadpool needs to be R mm-hmm. um or like and I was always like, you know, yeah, it's cool that like Logan's R, but I mean, you know, like X-Men comic books have never really been R, you know. So I, I definitely think it's true that like it, it just like those, right? Like Blade comes from the comic books. Blade are probably more in the realm of PG or PG-13. So there's no reason why a Blade movie can't be PG-13 and probably be effective. And like I said, uh, there's a couple of Marvel movies I'm not hot on, but they haven't made like an absolute dog shit movie yet. You know, they've just yeah. they've made some like kind of they were like, oh, that's not so great, but they're fairly consistent. So I have every reason to believe Blade will be a good movie. I like Mahershala Ali. I think that's a cool choice to play Blade. But that all said, <laughs> Blade and it's just it's just strange how much and I'm not I know I'm not alone on this, how much Wesley Snipes version of Blade is so imprinted into my mind and it being like especially you know the first two, I less said about Blade Trinity probably the better, but Blade 1 and 2 is just like that's the the, the platonic ideal of a Blade movie and yeah. just knowing that the MCU version is not going to be willing to be that kind of down and dirty and that kind of revolutionary and just, uh, and just that cool. Right. It's, and also just the fact that it's not going to be allowed to just be blade, you know, it's everything MCU now is really a piece of a puzzle. Nothing feels singular anymore. Everything's the next puzzle piece. And that's not really what I want to see from blade either. Maybe that'll be the interesting part of it is seeing, you know, him interact with other characters, but I don't know. So I, I don't know. I, I'm going to have to wait and see until I see like some trailers or whatever. It's really hard to say right now. I definitely have mixed feelings about it. It's not what I'm excited about other than the casting. But um, but I do I do kind of wish that like I definitely would be more excited if we were getting like a Blade kind of legacy sequel with Snipes coming back, especially right. to, like watch the flavor of that that third entry out and let him get a, maybe have a better finale with that character. Yeah, like, I just was curious, because I have such strange feelings about this, and and here's why, and it's like, first of all, this seems like the movie that they don't really want to make. <laughs> but well, it's, it doesn't, wasn't this, wasn't this the case? Am I wrong in that it really was Mahershala Lee coming to them with, like, the idea, and them just being like, well, you don't turn him down right now. I, I think that's, I, I, I think that might be true. I think he, he might have been like, I want to play Blade, and then been like, uh, okay. It, it It felt like, to me, it was like, like a placeholder thing of, like, you know, like, cause you know, he had already worked with them and everything. And, and like, I hadn't heard that he had came to them, but it seemed like to me, it was just like, it was like, they used him as a, like, a, like almost like a pawn to like prop themselves up to be like, cause he was like coming really off like his hottest, like his couple roles and he got nominations at different award ceremonies and stuff. And it was almost just like, we need Mahershala Ali. Cause like we've already had him and mm-hmm. he played like whatever, like, he he played he played a he actually played a, a very uh, like a character a lot of people are fascinated with, but yeah. he was on one of those Netflix shows. And yeah. as much as we wanted you to believe those were part of the MCU, like now I, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Oh, and I feel like like he you know it was like we just need to hold on to this guy because he's blown up since even we worked with him, and it's like oh like he just did that. Um, that Alita Battle Angel movie where he wore sunglasses and looked just like Blade. <laughs> so I felt like I felt like as much as like I would enjoy him in the role, like that's kind of the laziest casting. But I'm like, okay, whatever. You got an idea for this this version that you're gonna do, and it's like 
then nothing happens. It's like basically two years, it's crickets. He walks out on a stage and they say, oh, Mahershala Ali is the MCU's blade. Okay, great. And then there was like kind of like the dust up of like, of course, all the minions of Kevin Feige and the MCU came out to defend him where he was like, you know, we haven't really, you know, like, first of all, I don't believe for a second that, that they will ever produce an R-rated Deadpool. I mean, that's neither here nor there, but like he came out and he made the comments about Blade and it's like, well, we've never, you know, had a problem not making the movie that we want to make. And I'm like, oh, okay, that really means nothing one way or another. Like, I don't believe for a second that you won't be furiously chopping and editing and toning down to not be a PG-13. But, I mean, again, that's neither neither here nor there. But it's like, my thing where I'm at with this movie is, like, I almost don't want it to happen because they've waited around so much that uh, Mahershala, he's like... He's go- He's in his late 40s now. By the time they got this thing shot, because it just came out, they still don't have a script. And they even said, we're not rushing on this one, whatever that means to them. So I'm like, why do you have this guy who's going to be pushing 50 when Wesley's sitting there? Wesley's only like 11 years older than him. Like, just do one more Blade movie with Wesley. Like, Well, that was the thing, too. So what you were just saying about how them just trying to lock in Mahershala Ali. Was there any part of you, because I thought this, too. Was there any part of you that also felt like they made that announcement as kind of just like a a ploy to shut Wesley Snipes up because like yeah. in the build up to that for like a year right he was just every interview he was giving he was talking about how like oh you know I've been talking to Marvel there's still this possibility and I feel like yeah. who knows what the truth of that was but like when they when they made that announcement to Hershey Lee that was like the end of that right it was just yeah. like okay that's not the case we're moving on without Wesley Snipes and it just felt like them finally like having to make it they weren't going to come out and just say like look we're not going to work with this guy because yeah. maybe they felt like that's rude or something <laughs> right, but right. it really but it really just felt like they were like no we're putting a nail on that you know it's it, we're moving on with our own thing but as you said they announced it so far in advance yeah Blade doesn't fit into like he clearly doesn't fit into like their current phase plans because everything uh-uh. they're doing is building to this like kind of cosmic stuff or leading to this like you know young Avengers with all these new kind of iterations and a younger hero and blade definitely feels like the odd man out like blade really feels like it should be a, um, a disney plus series like moon knight yeah but it's just like they already announced it as a film and you know Marshall Lee seems like maybe i was gonna say it seems too big to be in a series but then again oscar isaac's playing moon knight so i don't know that's yeah. all like nebulous now anyways but yeah. yeah i don't know it felt it felt calculated in a way that it, it it left such a i don't even want to say a bad taste in my mouth it's just like weird like what the hell are you guys doing <laughs> <laughs> that like i'm at i've kind of like come to the thing where it's like and like you know a lot more about comic books and stuff than i do trev even but it's like it was always my impression that wesley snipes and steven norrington went the third blade film first blade film they like they created this version of blade that was like completely different than what he was in the comics and now marvel comics has just done that thing where like oh yeah this is what blade is in the comics and like I don't really want to see Mahershala Ali play like some weird ripoff of the Wesley Snipes Blade. Like, if anything, I wanted to go back to like how Blade was in like Tomb of Dracula in the seventies because like that's how I knew him. I knew him as the guy with like just like a green blouse on, basically, I mean, and a, and a awesome bandolier. It'd like be awesome if they made like a seventies black exploitation Blade movie with Mahershala Ali. But yeah. yeah, like you said, they're not gonna. They're definitely not gonna do anything that cool. You know? Yeah, I just, I just don't want to see the look or feel or anything be like the Wesley movies. You know what I mean? It's like if you weren't willing I mean, to. You're definitely right. Like that's the thing about comic books now is everything is like fed into the like the 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 current comic versions of all of the Marvel characters are more in line with like what the, the movie versions are. Like that's yeah. that's so informed everything. And I get that. I get it from a, a business perspective. But but yeah, you're you're absolutely right that 
in the comic books, Blade certainly turned more into the Wesley Snipes version after that movie. And that's definitely what we'll be getting another iteration of that. Yeah. It's also just Sticky Fingers erasure. Let's face it. Why not bring him back? Well, you know, I don't even know like the behind the scenes or whatever, but the uh I'm I'm about three fourths of the way through WandaVision and now there's all these rumors about Spider Man movies. We could just have a scene where Maharshala Ali, Wesley Snipes and Sticky Fingers are just staring at each other in a room not not knowing what happens. <laughs> Yeah. I mean that there is a level of truth to that like you said it's a joke but I have I have had a thought about how like if they're really going to if they're really being truthful and committing to this multiverse idea yeah I think there's a possibility they might allow Wesley Snipes to have a scene as like his blade at some point in something yeah. but but I'm with you in that I, I would just kind of like to see him do another one I think he still yeah. could pull it off and like I said I don't I don't know how you feel about Blade Trinity but I don't even like I don't necessarily hate Blade Trinity. It's just it's a really big come down after one and two. And it didn't it doesn't feel yeah. like it should be the finale to that series. No, I, I agree a thousand percent. To to me, it was like when I saw it and like, you know, like I mean, I had the poster up uh, in my room for years just because it was a cool Blade poster, not necessarily because it was for that movie. But um, yeah, like I saw it and I, I did have the feeling like, well, this is a bit of a letdown. This is a bit of a step down. But I didn't feel like it was such a death blow that they couldn't recover with a fourth film. Yeah. And I want to be clear, too. I actually and I, I don't know how you if you agree, go. But like from everything I know, like I'm I'm fully willing to admit that that's pretty much all Wesley Snipes' fault, too. Like he's definitely he was the problem with that film. Um I mean, I I understand it's not the best script in the world, but yeah. it sounds like every problem Wesley Snipes had, he raised after they were already on set filming, and it's like right. he was he was a producer on that. He could have got involved and and you know raised those issues ahead of time, and I'm sure Goyer would have listened because they were getting along at that point. Uh, and for him to just turn into like a total dick while making the film, uh, you know, that didn't help matters any. And all the stories about how. He was so lazy they had to CGI his eyes opening in that one scene. And, oh, you know, God. 70% of that movie is actually his double. That's why you see him right. from behind most of the time. And, yeah, so, I mean, maybe, maybe there's that part of me that says, like, maybe he didn't deserve another go-around with it after that. But but then later when he came around and wanted to make another one, then you're like, well, okay, maybe he just learned his lesson and let's, let's give him another shot. Yeah, I mean, time passes. I mean, I've definitely heard the stories about how bad he was, but it's like – as as much as what first of all the movie didn't lose money so there's no reason to like you know cry about that it's just the law of diminishing return and also too new line restructured in a big way and changed a lot as a studio if it would have kind of retained the same structure i'm sure there would have been a blade four but like my thing is like you can complain about wesley snipes all you want and like yeah i agree the script wasn't the best best or whatever but it's like i don't see how wesley snipes behavior makes the movie uh, look ten times more drab than the previous <laughs> yeah. films are. I don't know how Wesley Snipes' behavior exposes the fact that you're just blatantly shooting in Vancouver. <laughs> like you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Like, also, that is still, to my in my opinion, the worst cinematic Dracula ever. Oh uh, yeah. Dom- oh, Dominic yeah. Purcell as Drake is just you. You give us Dracula, like the Blade villain and the all-time vampire, and that's the version you come at us with. Oh, yeah. just embarrassing. Yeah, I I agree a thousand percent. The only cool part of that version of Dracula is when he like climbs out of the tomb in the beginning and he was like a monster or whatever he is. But like honestly, I just I know I mean this this could be set of like any movie, but uh, Parker Posey just should have been the main villain. Oh, I love Parker Posey. See, yeah. that's the thing. That's why I can't totally slam that movie. Is like I said, like for every like Dominic Purcell or Triple H, there's a Parker Posey, and it's kind of like. 
well, yeah. we're never going to see this again in a movie, like this kind of weirdness. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah, and in fact, I, I actually, I, I actually do like Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Biel in that as well. I yeah, think me too. With, I, I would have watched a spinoff with them. I thought they yeah. were an interesting addition. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so it's it's just weird. I guess we'll just have to wait and see how it pans out. And uh, yeah, I, like but, uh, I'm with you, not being super excited about it. Well, I like this is just another, you know, not trying to create another topic, but I don't know about you, but like I've kind of like as awesome as he is as a studio head, I've kind of like come to seeing Kevin Feige as like a carnival barker. And like, I don't, I don't, I don't know why it is or what's going on or if it's like relationship with Disney or what, but they're like, it just so much weird stuff that guy says ends up not coming true now. <laughs> I'm just, I'm still shocked. I'm just shocked he's still there. Like yeah. if I was him, I would be out of there by now. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that it's like still going well and like, he, but at yeah. this point there's like nothing left to prove. And it's just strange yeah. to me that he doesn't want to move on to the next thing. Yeah. And I feel like he does have the clout to like go to Disney and be like, give me Star Wars. And they would probably give it to him. Right. And it's just strange that like, he's like, no, I'll just keep doing this. I mean, yes, he's, they're going into these new realms, with the TV thing, but is that, could that really be as rewarding as just that initial, like build up to the Avengers yeah. was and pulling that off? I don't know. Yeah, it is weird. I mean, at the very least, like modify his role. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. Where I, cause I don't I, like, like I was a, I mean, I'm still a fan of the guy. Like, I, I mean, I give him credit, um, for creating this unified thing that we never had before with comic book films. But at the same time, it's just like, isn't there other shit you want to do? And B it's like, I kind of would like, you know, even if it failed for a while and he had to come back or something, I kind of would like to see a different like model going on here. You know what I mean? Then whatever, just, just for the sake of just variety, I guess. But yeah. So Trev, uh, actually, actually it's your turn. Go ahead. What do you have next? All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read you a, a list here, Goat. I want to see if you at what point you think you know what I'm reading to you. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, this is a list of movie titles. Uh, Setup, Catch Forty Four, The Cold Light of Day, Fire with Fire, The Prince, Vice, Extraction, First Kill, Acts of Violence, Precious Cargo, Once Upon a Time in Venice. Anti-Life, Survive the Night, Breach, Ten Minutes Gone, Hard Kill, Cosmic Sin, Trauma Center, and Reprisal. Do you know what any of those were, and did you do you know what the through line is with everything I just named? I, I've seen uh, about twenty-five percent of those films. <laughs> okay. So, so what I'm going to guess is you're running down our boy Bruce's uh, deep, yeah. modern deep cuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about Bruce Willis because I I'm just curious, goat. Because so you, this is one of our old school conversations. Is yeah. you we you know you have in the past, and to a point where I I now understand we are coming from a little bit more with some of these people. Right, you in the past were always very defensive about you know like the modern work of actors like Robert De Niro, and you know and some other actors who kind of fall in these realms. And I, and I kind of get where you're coming from. You're right that as actors get older, you know the same opportunities are presented to them, and you you kind of take the work you 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 can get. And, uh, you know, you're also someone who's been very, you know, you, I don't know. I, I've never understood, like, I've never known how much tongue in cheek it is or whatever, but you've been very like, you know, you've stayed a fan of Steven Seagal, even as to me, he's gotten very boring <laughs> and lazy. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on Bruce Willis in particular nowadays. So there was recently this interesting article was published. I don't know if you read it, but it was about the, that producer actually makes all of these, like these films with like these, you know, these actors, these for yeah. the international market. 
Our boy Emmett Furla, is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm just curious, like with Bruce Willis in particular, do you find yourself is he one that you're def- like defensive of because he's an actor that really does like depress me nowadays. Yeah. I feel like because I don't know, I. It's strange because I, I was thinking about this thing that it's always oh, so weird that there's all these actors that are making all these movies we've never heard of that just, you know, get these only international releases yeah. and whatever. And then I was thinking, well, all these actors from like the 60s and 70s, actors like I like, like Chuck Connors and Cameron Mitchell and all these guys, you look up their filmographies and it was really the same thing, right? The entire back half of their career is just all these like movies you've never heard of. So this is really nothing new, but you watch any of these Bruce Willis films and holy shit, this guy just does not care. And I just, I'm just curious why he keeps bothering, you know, like, what is it? Like, what is, so I'm curious, like what your theory is or like, what is he doing? Like, cause I've, I've never heard him having the same kind of financial troubles other actors have. Mm-hmm. That's not something I'm aware of with him. So like, what do you think keeps him going? And like, do you honestly like make a point to watch any of these or are you just kind of like done with him at this point? And do you think we'll get like, <sighs> Is he gonna come back? Like I, I feel like was Glass really his last gasp of like any kind of mainstream like relevance? Well, okay, for why he's doing it, and this is my understanding from what I've heard. Uh, you know, some things that happen behind the scenes on the Spindles franchise and so forth is there's kind of been this like business model that's propped up around, you know. These kind of fading action, well, not even fading action stars, even though they kind of exploited the most. But even Jean-Claude Van Damme talked about it in his film JCVD. They did kind of like a meta commentary of it. There are these films where it's like, you know, the movie, the budget is $7 million. They're going to mm-hmm. pay $2 million for this guy to come in and work for a couple of days. And by the way, unless his like rate has dropped, like Bruce Willis is like one of the... He commands the highest of, like, the two-day workers on these films. And I was actually hanging in there and uh, watching these for a while. And I've seen a good... By the way, Cold Light of Day, that was... I don't know if you remember this, that was, like, a theatrical movie from, I believe, Summit. That was supposed to be our the launching pad for our boy, uh, Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill, yeah. yeah. So it's like, but yeah, like the other ones, like the, I'd have to look at it. Like I, I'd have to look at who's in them. There was one I watched, I want to say had Bruce Willis, <laughs> Gina Carano, and maybe Kellen Lutz. And um, every once in a while, every that is, once that in is a That is extraction, but okay, I have extraction. all these posters yeah. in front of me right now, yeah. And it's like, I don't enjoy these movies because, you know, like like, like Bruce comes in and he like he works for two days and he gets roughly about a million dollars a day and he whatever but they create which i don't have a problem for like like i personally love dude i love cameos from big name actors in smaller movies you know what i mean like it's a fun little thing but what i don't like is like when they posit that it's like he's like a main important character and and then there's just like something going on in the story where like he just can't be seen for 80 percent of the running time you know what i mean and, like, I kind of have the same feeling about all these movies, or at least the ones I've seen. And I have more in my Netflix list. Uh, I recently watched one, uh, Daughter of the Wolf with Gina Carano, um, that was, like, I mean, she was, like, the main person in it. Like, she was, like, actually in every scene of the movie. She's kind of like traipsing through Alaska trying to save her son who's been kidnapped. And then there's a final showdown. I'm not shitting you, Trev, in this film between Gina Carano and uh, Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> yeah, I saw this trailer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they do get out. And I got to say, like, 
that one and these Bruce Willis ones, like, they're not really as bad. Like, I'll be honest, like, they're way better than our boy Slowhand and what he's been up to for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think De Niro, and De Niro's done some direct-to-video trash because he clearly, you know, he he needs money. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's got some financial issues. Yeah, he does. He's got tax liens and divorces and stuff. But with Bruce Willis, I think what happened with Bruce Willis was he was one of the highest paid actors doing one to two films a year. He got a certain lifestyle. And, I mean, he has kids and stuff. We don't know. He could be supporting a lot of people. He's, you know, he's got a wife. I don't want to judge. It's, 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 sometimes it's a little gauche, I think, to say, like, oh, that guy has all this money and why is he doing this piece of crap? Well, we don't know that. He might not. Have yeah, as much money, true. but when I kind of get the feeling with Bruce Willis, it's more like he used to do one movie a year for twenty million, so he still wants to make twenty million dollars, but now he's got to do ten movies a year to do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the feeling I have. And I gotta say, like I occasionally revisit these movies. I just rent them through Netflix through the mail. They always, it's always the. I hate to say this, it's always the fucking DVD they gotta send because they're they're either too cheap to get the Blu-ray or sometimes some of these movies. Like the yeah, Gina Carano one, yeah, they they only release them on DVD, and like the DVD of that Gina Carano movie I just watched the other week was like it was trash. I mean, it wasn't even like DVD standards. It was like I don't know, weird bootleg, ugly, fucking blurry shit. Like not even blurry, just like weird lines and shit on the screen. So like they're clearly not trying. And clearly these these films are made on a factory, like whatever. And it's kind of that thing. Like I've kind of phased them out, Trev, because. If you check out a really like small unknown movie from about twenty years ago, there's a fifty fifty chance it might be pretty good, you know, no matter what the genre. But like I've kind of learned these kind of modern, made in the last ten years, factory line movies, they're not terrible. But like you're gonna be like, you know, I I I, I if a movie's boring me, that's when I'm looking at my phone, and I like I virtually never do that, never. But I do yeah. it with these movies, you know what I mean? Like, I just read you a really long list of those. And I'd say, like, the one unifying thing is, like, those are all from, like, the last, I don't know, like, decade or so. Yeah. And I I don't remember, none of those stood out to me as something where I ever heard someone say, like, in any review or anything where, like, you, you heard something just pop or, like, oh, I know Bruce Willis has been bad for a while, but have you seen, like, this one? It was, like, actually <laughs> yeah. surprisingly good. You know, it's just kind of like these all just come and go. And I feel like yeah. without seeing them, I feel like I have seen them, you know? Well, like, like I said, the only one that, I, like, I won't recommend it. I would say, like, oh, you're a Bruce fan, you haven't seen this movie. Like, maybe you want to check out Cold Light of Day, because it's like a, mm-hmm. it's a legit movie. Like, I'll okay, put it that yeah. way. You know, it's, yeah. it, I saw it in the theater. I saw it at, like, a fifty theater, but it was still a theater. Um, the other, now, now, I, I get the, all the titles mixed up, because they're so damn generic, but those two recent ones Bruce did, where he's fighting the space zombies and space aliens, I, I'm not gonna lie, I kinda wanna check those out, and I actually really wanna see Vice, the one he did with Thomas Jane, but, um, but it's like, I wanna see these things, like, I recently, in the last year, I watched this one with Matthew Modine and Sly Stallone, have you seen that one out there? I saw the poster for it, yeah. Yeah, and, like, that was, like, this is kind of, like, a good movie, I mean, not a great movie, but, you know, a good watchable movie. But it was so distracting that Sylvester Stallone showed up for two days just to play the villain. And it's like, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone sleepwalking is, like, the same level of Bruce, Wall- Bruce Willis sleepwalking. Like, like I don't really think these guys are embarrassing themselves by doing it. But if you're watching those movies to see those guys, you will be disappointed as their fan. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, it's just sad. Like, do you think Bruce Willis still enjoys acting, or do you think it yeah. really is just about the money for him now? Because yeah. I don't know. It's like whenever you, I mean, I, I actually, so I actually think he was good in Glass. I've seen people yeah. disagree with that. I thought it seemed like he cared, and I think there's a couple directors who it seems like can still get it out of him. I thought Ryan Johnson, you know, going back to that, got something really strong out of him in Looper. And I thought, I think when he's like in a Wes Anderson movie, he's still pretty good. But I just, yeah. I mean, I don't blame him for like not caring when he makes these necessarily, but it's still kind of a bummer. And you, you contrast that with someone like Nicolas Cage, where however you feel about him, that's a guy who usually brings some energy to even like the biggest trash he's in, right? Yeah. He's kind of got this like mode that he falls into. And Bruce Willis just seems like, I mean, even, I mean, and it's not even just, I wouldn't say it's only going to these, these like European, uh, you know, DVD movies we're talking about. Look at how like disengaged he was in Die Hard Five, which is right. just like it was so sad to see, right? Because that was the one character I thought he would never get lazy with, right. you know? Because even like I, I'm on record as liking Die Hard Four. I think it's better than people give it credit for, and I thought he was still kind of giving it his all in that one. And then number five, there's like a scene where him and his son are getting shot at, <laughs> yeah. And uh, his son like ducks, and like he like Bruce Willis just like walks across the frame, like he doesn't even bother like ducking from the bullets that are being fired at his character. Right. And it's just like, oh, he doesn't care anymore, you know. Um, so I don't know. It's just weird. And, and it's, I recently, like last year, uh, for the first time in years, I watched uh, Death Becomes Her, mm-hmm. and God, I love that movie. And it's yeah. just, he's so great in that, like that weird like manic comic energy he had, and the fact of him playing a character like that, and then thinking like how much fun he was in something like The Fifth Element or Blind Date. And just like, this guy used to be so good. And like, I don't know, it's just strange how lazy he became. You, you know you know what was a movie that I thought would be pure shit? And I thought it was like, it was like the beginning of his lazy period. And I thought it was just going to be another lazy movie. But I actually kind of really end up liking it. And I own a copy and I watch it a few times. I actually kind of really, like, like way blows away to me, Die Hard 4 or 5. I actually really like that hostage movie he did. You ever see that? Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm with you, actually. I did like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it was interesting. It had good, like, it was cool seeing Ben Foster play this, like, weird... Yeah, Ben weird... Foster's awesome in that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, like, so... the beginning of, like, the weirdo Ben Foster st- uh, era, I think. It w- Wasn't it that, like, was... the first one? And then you got, like, 30 Days a Night and 310 to Yuma, and it's like, oh, this guy rules. And Alpha Dog. Remember Alpha Dog? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 yeah, like, so, like, I like here's the thing, is, like, everybody's different, everybody has, like, different pitfalls. I think, I think out of all those guys, because, you know, like, I've defended De Niro, and I'm like, well, he's fucking 70, they're, they're only going to give him certain type of roles. I think the one, and, and he's even older, but I think the one where it's like, man, it makes me sad that I haven't really seen Harvey Keitel in anything good in years, you know what I mean? But You know the one I'm sad about, because he's now starting to fall into these as well, is, um, and I was kind of shocked to see that he was becoming one of these guys because I he just he, he's an actor who you would think is too classy for this. So you'd think like Hollywood would like kind of protect him a little bit more. But Morgan Freeman is now yep. one of these guys as well. I was just at Target the other day and I saw him in Travolta. Uh, <laughs> oh, not not just him. In, uh, what's this one? Hold on. I'm looking it up now. Um, there's a movie out now called Vanquish. That is a mm. Ruby Rose Morgan Freeman movie. Oh, yeah. and, it was, and it was on like the new release rack. And I was like, what is this? You know, <laughs> it's just like. Uh, it's got a 2.6 out of 10 on IMDb. It must be good. But uh, but yeah, it's it, that's like a bummer. Like that Morgan Freeman is like doing these now too. But yeah, yeah I I, you, I know you do what you got to do. I suppose. And and here's here's my thing. Like I guess basically to sum this up, to wrap this up, Trev is like, I know what you mean about the sadness because I like especially with Bruce Willis, Travolta a couple times. I you know like I'm mm-hmm. I'm really more of a Travolta fan even on Bruce Willis. But it's like you rent these things and like. You, there's a part of you in the back of your head that's like, 
oh man, how far have these guys fallen? You know what I mean? This is sad to say. But there's another part of me that's like, as long as the movie isn't offensively like terrible and incompetently made, you know, because a lot of these things to me, they're kind of almost like movie of the week type feeling things when you watch them. Like they're very, you know, they're very pedestrian. But I'm like, there's a part of me too. It's like, I kind of glad I can still see this guy in a movie in all honesty. Like, you okay. know what I mean? Yeah, I get that. I think Bruce Willis is just the one I want to talk about because he's the one that makes me sad. Because, like, what's your Volta, right? I'm not, I don't think I'm as big a troll fan as you are, but I would say, like, with him, you know, I saw The Fanatic and I wouldn't say I was a fan of it, but he's doing something in that movie, you right. know? And I, I, he seems to me like someone who's still having fun with his movies. Yeah. You know, you look at, like, like, like something like Gotti and it's like, this is a guy who, even if he, I think he might know these movies aren't that great, but he's, yeah. he's having a good time. And Bruce Willis, to me, looks like somebody who is, like, miserable. And that's what, like, bums me out. Yeah, like, just real quick, you know, everybody made fun of Gotti. But if you watch the scenes, like, where he's in the heavy cancer makeup, if you, if you think, like, he's sleepwalking Travolta, like, I don't know what to tell you. You know what I mean? Like, you might not think it's a good performance, but I think he's trying. Like, mm-hmm. to me to me with Bruce, because I understand Bruce is a, a special animal here. <laughs> he's in his own category, you know, with this stuff. And it's, like, to me, like... I'll get down on Bruce when he stops answering the call, when like a Ryan Johnson calls him or like a Wes Anderson calls him, you know, and they have that, you know, cause the age they were at, they grew up watching uh, Bruce and movies and stuff. If he stops answering the call of those guys mm-hmm. and showing up and doing good work in their movies, then I'll be like, yeah, fuck this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. But but I, I mean, I'll fully admit these, those movies you rattled off, at least the ones I've seen, the majority of them are not very good. Mm-hmm. Like like again, not offensively bad, but they're kind of like fuck around generic movies that aren't worth your time. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. All right. So since we kind of did two birds one stone and killed my last one, I just really only have one last um, topic. And I was like really thinking about this about a week ago, Trev. And I was like, I kind of want your your input on this. So regarding Star Wars. Um, we are in like a new era and all this kind of stuff. And I just see this thing like growing and growing and sprouting and becoming its own thing. What do you think, would it ever be possible, would it ever be prudent, would it ever be appropriate? And if so, what timetable, like, do you think we should probably start thinking about changing the name of Lucasfilm, the company? I don't think there's any need to. I, I, I get I get what you're asking, but I... I think I think it's one of those things where no one's going to ever propose that idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. no one's going to be the person who's going to sit up and be like, let's not call this Lucasfilm anymore because right. we're because it's, you know, we're detached from Lucas because you could say the same thing of like, well, I guess Disney stayed in like other, you know, there was other Disney's who like ran the company. Right. But it's right. not like we're ever going to get to a point where like, let's not call this Disney anymore because we're so far gone from like what Walt Disney's vision was, you yeah. know? I think this is a company that like Lucas made. You know, he built it. Uh, they're always going to want his name attached to it. There's there's certainly a level of cynicism to that. You know, like if it's still called Lucasfilm, they can still always sell the idea that this is like Lucas's universe, even if it's not anymore. Yeah. But I also think you know we are heading. Um, ooh, we're getting into like minefields now with you and I. But uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, I I have you know I I'm on record as having no issues really with Kathleen Kennedy. I think she's made yeah. some good decisions. I think she's made some bad decisions as anyone else does. Uh, but I I do think we're definitely heading in a territory of her continually seceding more of that power over to Dave Filoni. And I think Dave Filoni is a is like a Lucas protege, an acolyte. So I think it makes sense for it still to be Lucasfilm if Filoni becomes like the guy. 
So yeah, I don't see that happening anytime soon, honestly. And I, I, I think Star Wars is always going to be the George Lucas thing, I, at least for like the, the for our lifetimes. I, I don't, yeah. I don't see that changing. Yeah, I mean, my to be real honest, what really got me thinking about it, honestly, was I was reading an article, and it wasn't really like an opinionated, like strong piece, but it was just kind of pointing out the fact that like I can't remember. We actually might be at this point already, but like we are actually like if not already but we are like reaching this precipice where like very soon uh there will actually be more star wars content meaning hours like just judging hours versus hours like hours of tv shows hours mm-hmm. of movies um not really the book thing because that's kind of like its whole thing because george lucas also did books and that never really factored but just like really just like you know his what he created kind of firsthand with the movies and his tv shows you ever saw and like we're actually at the point now where there's actually in it you know i mean assuming star wars goes forward which i think it will we're actually at the point where there's like going to be more non-george lucas star wars in existence mm-hmm. than there is george lucas star wars and like i was thinking about that and i'm like oh that's kind of like fucked up in a way like in, in reality and then i i just kind of think how like the whole handover happened and kind of more's come out with Iger's book and some things that have been said and i'm kind of like this isn't really like you know, because obviously, like you said, like the thing to compare it to is Disney. But like, I mean, Walt Disney died. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, whereas like George Lucas was like, you know, and I mean, I'm not saying like boohoo or whatever, but it seems like he thought there was going to be continued participation on his part. And like that didn't really happen. So I'm kind of like, to me, it's like, when, do, when does like. And again, if it was just like if they were if they were like making Indiana Jones movies and they were making still making grim fandango video game i'm like okay like the legacy of george lucas i get it but to me it's like this kind of guy that you that's still around i mean he's he's retired but he you know how he likes to dip his toe in and when he gets motivated i'm like you don't want him there like as far as the fan base goes like even the original trilogy diehards you know they didn't really warm up to the prequels like i kind of feel like the fan base is not really like i don't even know if there would be an outrage if they like change the name like like i just I, like I, like his to me his name is not like a draw anymore it's like like you can say what you want about you know there's been all these recent things about disney and kind of rewriting their history and walking away from certain things in the past and all that but it's like walt disney is always a very nostalgic part of the disney fandom where it's like i almost wonder that like i don't really like like i don't see people in all honesty like like talking about red tails and shit like like nobody i don't want to say nobody a vast majority of people like they don't really like talk about george in a whole lot and and with the recent stuff you know what i mean like it's i feel like he's just slipping away from it I mean, I, I agree, but again, it's, it's just that kind of thing where it's like, to me, it just seems like there's no reason to ever change or no point. It, it is, yeah. there's just a, there's just a certain thing of like tradition, right? Like MGM is still MGM and nobody gives a shit about Louis B. Mayer anymore. <laughs> Metro you know, Golden not, Mayer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it's just like, it is Lucasfilm and it always will be. And I, and I think to your point about how we're getting to um, an era where there's more non-Lucas Star Wars than there is Lucas Star Wars. Yes, that's true. And we're probably gonna get that soon, but whatever you say about like all this stuff that followed and like, you know, decisions made to like not use his outlines or to kind of shut him out. 
those are executive decisions and they're most of it is still being done by filmmakers who grew up on his films and are still honestly trying to pay homage to him you know yeah. so for all anybody out there listening who is like on the opposite side for me and hates ryan johnson doesn't like last jedi understand that i don't ryan johnson's not someone who hates george lucas and i was trying to shit on <laughs> no, george no. lucas nor was jj abrams right these were both no. guys who in their own way were trying to pay homage to a filmmaker and to a franchise they liked and that's true of filoni that's true of favreau yeah. that's true of uh, ron howard like all these people are still they they want to play in george lucas's universe so i think there's still a value to that and i don't i think it's going to be years till we're it, it it's going to take a couple more generations before people are interested in star wars but don't connect it to the idea of george lucas i think yeah. that's still I, I still think people think of george as star wars as george lucas's universe if that makes sense yeah it's, it's just weird because it's like they're like i know exactly what you mean like they're always going to want to do it as like a sort of like honorable tribute but it's like even mm-hmm. galaxy's edge like they were originally going to like just theme it all around different parts of like the original trilogy. And then like there, the idea came of like, you know, like, Hey, like, do we really want to follow somebody else's past when we're like kind of creating our own future? And mm-hmm. it's just like, I like, I'm not saying it's like a hot thing. Like they should change. Like, I'm not saying they have to change the name, but it, like, I would say, I don't know. It's weird. And, and obviously there's going to be that thing too. If they did change it once George passed, then people would be mad. But it's like, I I just think you could call it Skywalker film and it would be like. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. And, it, and it's also there is that thing. I mean, again, I'm not trying to shun George Lucas. I respect no. the man. But I mean, you know, one of the biggest like compliments you can pay him is that he created this thing that will outlive him and has outgrown him. And I mean, yeah. he, he created franchise filmmaking in a way or he's at least a big part of it. And it was only natural that at some point this was going to go beyond him. And I mean, you can think of, you know, Sherlock Holmes is a character that is not only attached to Arthur Conan Doyle nowadays, right? Everybody wants to write a Sherlock Holmes story and everybody wants, they still want to make Sherlock Holmes movies. And it's not like when people are like, I really love it because of Arthur Conan Doyle. They love Sherlock Holmes. And that's true of Star Wars now too. He, he, he invented this universe that yes, he was the only architect of it for a while, but I mean, even early on, you know, he didn't direct the Ewok movies, you know, he was, right, he, was right. he was letting other people play in that world. And that just now continues. And he made the decision to sell it to Disney. And I don't know, maybe he had instant buyers or a seller's regret. I don't know. It's it's hard to say. But, um, yeah. you know, he made the decision and we all are living with it. And you can you can say, like, I don't like the new Star Wars and fine, then just walk away. What don't bully the actors and filmmakers online, you know, right, just right. be like, I'm done with it. Or like yeah too. It's like I don't know. Like like either way, it was just interesting thought. But since my last topic, and I know we're going along here, since my last topic kind of got folded earlier, I'll just always see one last question. Let's get down to brass tacks, Trev. Are you obsessed with Baby Yoda? Um, I I liked Grogu quite a bit. Uh, I I really do like the Mandalorian. I I um I'm not. I think it's not a perfect show. I no. was not super huge on the finale of season two, uh, which I thought <laughs> fell into a little bit of nostalgia baiting. Uh, and I, the whole Luke Skywalker stuff, I, I didn't didn't do much for me. But no, yeah, I like I like Baby Yoda. I think it's definitely, you know, he's, he, he is cute and he's oh, fun. Yeah. It's, a, it's just a cool character. And, he, you, you know, the relationship between him and uh, Mando is is interesting and fun every time it's on screen. There's a, just a simplicity to it that really worked. Yeah. But that's the thing is, like, I think... I don't want Star Wars to only be the Mandalorian, but yeah. I also see the value of something like the Mandalorian. I think Mandalorian did a nice job of being that right amount of like kind of nostalgia and also just like kind of a fun, simple adventure 
Um, you know, to me, the best of both worlds is a show like that at the same time as more daring stuff like <laughs> Last Jedi or or even like you know, like Rogue One, which I'm not a, again, I'm right. not a huge Rogue One fan, but I respect what it was doing. So, right. uh, yeah, yeah, our, our boy Gareth is uh, finally come back to filmmaking. I was happy to yeah. see that. I was like, I'm actually kind of bummed. Go. There was one topic that you had initially asked about uh, that you never brought up on this episode, and I thought for sure we were going to get into it, and that was uh, Brie Larson. Oh, actually, you know what? Like, I, I, I could borderline, borderline. Uh, I kind of shelved that intentionally because I, I thought maybe, like, I didn't know if you really, really want to talk about that, but like, uh, uh, yeah, like, like I was saving that for just to do it somewhere else in another, <laughs> another area. But I can, I can, I can ask that as my final question. I know we've gone way longer. I thought this was going to be like an 80, 90 minute show. We've yeah. gone way longer. It's fine. This is fun though. I like this. Yeah. But yeah, for the record, I'm obsessed with Baby Yoda. And I, yeah. and I kind of feel like I shouldn't be because it's very non-creative. You just take, you take Yoda and you mm-hmm. make him a baby. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I, I I cried when he was taken away from Mando. I didn't want that. I wanted him. I, I was like, I was I was like uh, Luke. I was like, it's time for the Jedi to end. He's a Mandalorian <laughs> now. Give him a little helmet. Let him let him let him bounty hunt. I don't care. But yeah. But no, I, I'll let you do your last topic. I think you got one more, and then I'll ask you about Brie Larson if you want. <laughs> uh, my last topic is my last topic is very, is very. I wanted to end on a really easy, simple one too. And this is just something where I, I just don't know your opinion. And I want to hear it. Um, cause this is a movie that we would have talked in a non-COVID world. We would have already gone over this and reiterated it and everything. But uh, I'm just curious uh, your thoughts on uh, the Batman. Uh, are you excited for another Batman reboot? And if you are, why? Or if you're not, what is kind of keeping you at a distance from it? How, how? What are your feelings on it? Yes and no, and I've been conflicted. I've been hot and cold. But first of all, we live in a household, or not we, not me and you, but, but I, <laughs> I, I live in a household where Robert Pattinson can do no wrong. We love yeah, him. I, we, I, I love, I love Pattinson. Yeah. We watch his old movies. We watch How to Be. We watch The Haunted Air. Man, we love the shit out of the guy. I was a thousand percent on board. Like I can't even tell you about the excitement that was coursing through this household over here when he got announced and everything. Even the rumors, I was like, ah, that could never happen. When it happened, now I'm like, okay, shelve that movie. D- don't finish it. D- burn the film. Don't whatever. Because I'm like, to me, it was like, I thought they were moving on from what they were doing. And not that everything has to be in a connected DC universe, whatever. But now I'm like, we got to keep Ben. We got we to gotta have Ben do, do something. We got to have Ben keep doing it. Even if it's in only cameo roles and he never whatever. So, like, I'm kind of like, I'm so in on the, I like, I don't consider it the Snyderverse. Like, I know everybody says that. Like, just whatever the current continuity is. I really don't want to, like, start over with Batman. Like, unless you're just like, which I think is what they're doing, but I don't know. If you're just like okay, this like this this is a Batman series that's like separate, whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, I went from being so pumped about that and being like, first of all, I didn't like that it took Matt Reeves three years to write the script. That seemed a little hinky to me. But I think that had more to do with like the behind the scenes stuff with Ben Affleck. Yeah. But it's like, dude, like, I, I, like I'm not like hating that. I'm not hating the the Batman or whatever. But like, I kind of don't see because I like I don't know how much you read, Trev, but like they had to totally like change the location of the filming because of COVID, and it, it became more of an indoor mm-hmm. movie. Like in terms of they had to shoot on sound stages and shit and backlots. So it's like. They kind of like started making this movie and then they had to stop. And they're like, I'm just afraid it's like from a legit production standpoint, like it just got fucked up. Like I'm I went from like wanting to see it really bad to like now I'm kind of like I'm half 
just still invested in the Snyder shit and with uh, Ben coming back to Flashpoint, supposedly. And, like, I guess I want the movie, but I would, like, I would be happy if this movie was coming out three years from now and not right now. Like, it just, it seems like the whole thing seems like a mixed bag to me. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of, I mean, so I'm, hmm. I get that. I get that logic. And I think when you said it, you'd be happy if it was coming out three years from now, I get that, but for like different reasons, I just feel like for me, that's more about just having distance between like yeah. iterations of the character. Um, I actually kind of really like what DC is doing now. So I, I don't know. I don't know what the general feelings are on this, but I fall into the camp of finding their kind of stated approach to just see everything, to just like look at stuff as a multiverse to be actually kind of a cool idea whether they're going to pull it off and whether I trust DC to like effectively make this clear to the audience. I don't know. Um, I think they've had the advantage of being able to play with this for a while. And the fact that they already had the Arrowverse and then, you know, the movie universe, which was different. And I, I kind of like this idea of saying, well, this, the Batman with Robert Pattinson is a, just a different universe than the Ben Affleck Batman. And, and meanwhile, we can also have another one if we decide to later, you know, and, um, you know, there's, now there's this talk about this um, Tennessee Coates uh, black Superman movie and like how that'll fall into like a different part of the universe. So I actually really like all that. Uh, I'm really excited for the Batman exactly because, like you said, because of Pattinson. I did yeah. not care at all about another Batman um, until he signed on. And it, it really was one of those cases where he's the kind of actor. Okay, I I wasn't I ended up not really liking the Joker, <laughs> but when I was excited yeah. for the Joker, it was for the same reason where you're like, wow, if Joaquin Phoenix is signing on, there must be something here, you know? And that's how I feel about Pattinson. Like Pattinson doesn't seem like an actor who takes a Batman role because it's going to make him money or because someone pressured him into doing a blockbuster film. I believe that that's probably a really interesting script for Pattinson to want to do it. Um I I know you should never believe <laughs> any hype from filmmakers uh -huh. but when they say that they're finally going to do something in this film that's never been done in a batman movie and my only assumption is like oh it's finally a, de a detective story which is what i still believe and hope for yeah that's what i that's what i want to see and we haven't gotten it and that and um you know paul dano as like a zodiac-esque version of the riddler as we kind of you know got from the trailer is very exciting um i love colin farrell so him as like the penguin seems really cool so yeah i'm definitely excited for it but at the same time there is that part of me it's just like all right, all right, another Batman movie. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, so it is one that it's hard to like, it's hard not to have mixed emotions about it. That's why I wanted to ask. Cause it's like, I feel the same way where it's just like everything about it. If this was like, if this was the movie that was coming out when Batman begins came out, I would, I would be just like, so super pumped. Right. But the fact that I'm getting it after three Nolan movies and more Ben Affleck, Batman movies, and then just so much other Batman content in general, it's, it, you, I don't know if it's ever going to be possible to be really, really super duper hyped for another Batman movie again, which is unfortunate, but just the way it is. Yeah. They, like, I know exactly what you mean. Like they've gone to the well too many times and like, I'm just not really plussed at all about the rest of the casting of the movie. Not that I don't individually like the actors. Like, I love Paul mm -hmm. Dano. Um, I actually really... There's a, there's a movie, I don't know if you ever saw it, but with Zoe Kravitz and um, uh, Ethan Hawke. It was just like a little drama about, like, uh, Air Force pilots who actually, like, pilot the drones that blow people up and shit. Like, it was it was, it was pretty pretty interesting little movie. And I love Colin Farrell. Like, Colin Farrell's, like, one of my favorite actors. But it's like just seeing the same old Batman characters coming back. And, like, obviously, I'm sure they're going to do, like, a completely different spin. Like, I've already seen some whatever photos of how Colin Farrell's doing the Penguin. But it's just, like, mm -hmm. really? This same old shit? Like, again? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, like I, I think of anything. I don't know how you feel about it, Trev. And, and it probably would have just turned out to be more like Batman and Robin. But, like, 
I'm always intrigued when I hear about that Joel Schumacher, like Batman movie that they never made with like the scarecrow. Batman the triumphant. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. know why that always like, I don't know. No, I, I actually, I'm with you. I wish that had happened. And especially like, you know, I've listened to the Batman and Robin commentary where Joel Schumacher is just so apologetic. And like, it makes me sad to like, listen to it now because he shouldn't be, you know, he was just kind yeah. of following orders. And yeah. I think he actually, in retrospect, you know, with like time and everything, we can actually see that he made a pretty interesting, fun movie, you know, yeah. like Batman and Robin is like bad, but I mean, it's really entertaining. And I've, and I, people don't believe me when I say this, but like, give me Batman and Robin over Dark Knight Rises any day. Like I'll, I'll sit down oh, and watch yeah. Batman and Robin. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, Dark Knight Rises is like kind of, is like, a, is a mess and, but like not a very fun mess. Batman well, and Robin is a mess. That's like very entertaining. You know? Well, I, I, Batman and Robin is interesting because like what I love about Batman and Robin is like, it's like finally that like, it's almost like a satire. It's like that movie that got made where the studio got everything they wanted, like every yeah. shitty note they ever requested got incorporated. <laughs> and it's just like, like it's, 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 I mean, I know we can say, Oh, it's ba-, like, it's bad. I don't even consider it bad. It's just like, it's like this weird, it's almost like a fever dream of what a Batman movie mm-hmm. should be. But you know what and I mean? Meanwhile, and, and then, but within that, right, it could be just be like all like that. But in the meantime, you also have, uh, Uma Thurman giving a legit great performance as uh-huh. Poison Ivy, like she's awesome. Schwarzenegger is having a ball in that. Like yeah. he, he is super entertaining. Like you can tell he's just having the time of his life. Um, you know the the problem really is, I hate to say it, but the problem really is Clooney with that movie. Like he yeah. just seems detached from it. Uh, if you had an actor who kind of yeah was a little bit more tongue in cheek, I think that movie would be much more like kind of well received. I like I always got the impression that it was almost like he just wasn't allowed to say no to that movie like if he would have said no like the studio would have like just fucked him over like blacklisted Mm -hmm. him or something you know what i mean like because like there's nothing more like 1990 like 1990s than watching the scenes that like have chris o'donnell and leisha silverstone in them like you know what i mean like i mean that's just like a perfect time capsule like you know i know the movie came out in 97 but like it's 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 like perfect like mid 90s time capsule like Yep. I don't know. Like for and like I saw it in the theater and like I was just like, yeah, like this is like, you know, but but I then again, I didn't really like the previous one as well. So it was like it I was like, okay, this is what we're doing with Batman now and it's like and then when it flopped, I was kind of like confused cuz I'm like, well, like I like the Tim Burton ones more and I'm like, but I felt like this was the the kind of the movie that it seemed like the audience wanted more, you know what I mean? Yeah. So. It's just, I mean, also they're just, they're just movies that have the comic book movies that have personality, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I think, you know, you, it's funny to like how much people like hated Spider-Man three, right. And just completely right. trashed it. And now look at how excited everyone is that Sam Raimi's doing Dr. Strange too. Yeah. And it's like, like, well, I get it. Like you like two of his Spider-Man films, not the third one, but I mean, go back and look at Spider-Man three. Like I, that's, that's a film yeah. I've long defended again, because it's not great. But it's still a Sam Raimi movie and his like voice uh-huh. is still there and there's still sequences that are so Sam Raimi. And it's like, how can you not be entertained by a lot of this, you know, and I, and, and like the same yeah. with the, the Schumacher Batman movies. They're like strange, but they have this like voice to them. And if we got if a Marvel movie that came out like that felt like that now, I'd be excited because they all kind of do feel the same to a certain degree. Yeah, I mean, not to just take a free pass to dump on Marvel, but like I think it's very weird, like I, like the, the kind of current generous. I'm sorry, I can't talk it current genesis of just about every marvel movie is they always like we got this great director they always Mm -hmm. trot out like the like literally the the current hottest like indie film director and they're like we got this great director and they're so good and blah 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 and then it's like when you see the final movie it's like well okay but this just seems like every other marvel movie (laughs) yeah like when they had like uh 
when they had the directors of Half Nelson do yeah. Captain Marvel, and yeah. it's like, okay, cool. Well, look at Half Nelson and then look at Captain Marvel and tell me what the hell happened there. You exactly. Know? Exactly. Yeah. So I guess that's a perfect segue, Trev, to the last. So, <laughs> so yeah. I, I don't, I don't know what you, what did you think? I think about Brie Larson, but like, just, just, this, this, this is like, I'm gonna lay some facts down, and then I'm just basically gonna ask you the question. Okay, so. Brie Larson, she starts out, she's, she's, I mean, she really started out as like a, a young singer, uh, singer mm-hmm. slash actress. She started getting more, you know, kind of left the music behind, got more into the acting, uh, you know, in her older teens, all through her probably early to mid twenties. Uh, she played the, the, the sexual conquest, love, whatever, in a weird boarding school movie with Chris Kattan, where her and Chris Kattan had some romantic interactions. Um, career flatlining you know tiny part in scott pilgrim versus whatever the uh and it's like then the perfect career started like probably about seven years ago the the first knockout punch boom coming in with the uh, room like all oh, oscar her and her and uh jacob tremblay awesome great she follows it up with more like um you know there was couple there's some of the weird missteps in there like basmati blues or whatever that kind of people just ignored but then like she followed up in a, a movie i loved i don't know what you think about this movie but the movie free fire great mm-hmm. kind of fun independent and like kind of like really almost like a like like a dead on arrival box office wise but instantly kind of gained cult credibility cuz it's kind of like this movie that's like a 90 minute shootout i thought she was great in it she uses her indie clout to to jump kind of in the um, in, in the the blockbuster stratosphere with the Kong Scott Island. I love that movie. That's actually my favorite of all those current King Kong Godzilla movies. She did a great job. She kind of you know playing the supporting like kind of sidekick whatever like great. And then like obviously then she takes the complete other step, headlining the current most recent like you know whatever franchise captain marvel kevin feige came out and this is kind of why i think kevin feige's a huckster now he made all these promises about how important captain marvel was to the the whatever mcu all this after captain marvel i mean i could like 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 that's just like textbook playbook like you don't get an engineering career you couldn't do it any better than what brie larson did in like i would say roughly a five-year period there then as soon as captain marvel's over her her career uh okay now we're doing nissan commercials okay great like it's supposed to be this witty whatever okay like people were like oh this commercial's so witty it's so you know whatever female empowerment whatever and it's like okay that's great you know like okay she got a chance to do a commercial and get paid and i you know put a message in it okay i can kind of see why she would do that one then she goes on this weird like journey of being like uh, a celebrity who talks about Nintendo all the time. Okay, I guess she likes Nintendo. It's just her personal life. That translates into becoming a paid Nintendo spokesperson doing like weird commercials online. And then that goes into we get another Nissan commercial. And now she's on YouTube and it's not going very well at all. Um, like I would say probably, I mean, people watch her shit. So I'm sure she's like getting like a good revenue. She probably has one of those like celebrity deals where they pay her just to do content period. And it's like, yeah. And it's like, so it's like, she is like, I've never seen somebody fall from the A list to the B list. And then like, just like, I guess this is recent news, but like Captain Marvel two, isn't even going to be Captain Marvel two anymore. She has to share it with like the Miss Marvel character. So I'm like, Trev, I've never seen an A-list uh, career go in free fall so much. Like, what what is going on, and what can we do to help Brie Larson? 
All right. I so okay. <laughs> so I you're right. I didn't know what you felt about Brie Larson. I had some maybe predictions, <laughs> but I was I wanted to talk about it because when you said you want to talk about Brie Larson, I was like I, I would love the opportunity to talk about Brie Larson because first of all, I'll just quickly say I don't think she needs help, okay. and I'll say <laughs> that like. I like Brie Larson, and I want to talk about her because there's a certain kind of movie fan, most of them on YouTube or on Twitter, who I find very reprehensible and just super annoying nowadays, and there's nothing they love more than to trash Brie Larson. And there's like no current movie opinion, movie Twitter or movie fandom opinion that I'm more bored by and just like disgusted by than all this like anti Brie Larson stuff and it's yeah. like give me a break like okay so Brie Larson is seem is is awesome um and it's really this thing where I, I hate I I I oh no I don't hate to say it I'm just gonna say it and I don't know how many of them are listening to the show and if you are but well you know feel free to hate me but all of you who keep making multiple YouTube videos about how much Brie Larson sucks and tweeting about <laughs> it all the time and talking about how the Captain Marvel now being the Marvels means that MCU doesn't have any faith in her and she's a failure. I'm sorry. This is just misogyny. It's just you being assholes. It's just you being idiots. Brie Larson, this seems like it started a big time with them when she did that interview where she said that, you know, she wished more female critics would review movies made for women. Yeah. And man, that like put a target on her. And all I could think is all these like dickheads who like got so offended by that. Imagine if Jason Statham did an interview where he said, you know, I think only people who like action should review action movies. They would fucking hoist him up on their shoulders. <laughs> yeah. They would celebrate him and say, this guy knows what he's talking about. If um, if Eli Roth said only horror fans should review horror movies, they'd be like, preach on, Eli, you are the man. But for Brie Larson to dare say that maybe some more female critics should review movies made for women, oh, well, what is she talking about? These are just all these assholes who... They've waited their whole life for, like, nerdy properties to be the thing. They've gotten what they want, and now they have nothing to, like, rebel against and be angry about. So they've gone after, like, this woke culture shit, and she's become their main target. And it's like, when you say, like, she has this A-list career that fell to the B-list, I mean, Captain Marvel and Avengers Endgame is only two years ago, you know? And in that time, she did Just Mercy, which, you know, I think was kind of a... Like, that's a movie that, you know, it was one of those, like, prestige picks that people sometimes follow their big blockbusters with. Uh We don't know yet how... the thing with Captain Marvel 2 being the Marvels is as soon as they made Captain Marvel, a lot of us like nerds knew that like the next one would be her and Miss Marvel together. I think that was the, they were even like already talking about that. Them going with that title, I don't think that means anything. I don't think it like means that they have no faith in Captain Marvel. I think it just literally means they're trying to create a new team because they have no idea what's going on out with the Avengers. And they're going to have, you know, they're going to have the Marvels. They're going to have the young Avengers. I think Brie Larson's doing OK. And I think... You know, her YouTube channel is just her trying to have fun during the pandemic when no one's really doing anything and she's just entertaining herself. I think in general, she just seems like a fun person. You know, I kind of knew her before some of the stuff you talked about because you probably remember this too. She was actually kind of like a little bit of a fixture in like the little L.A. comedy scene. You know, she was like um, she would pop up in guest appearances on Community she had a little role in 21 Jump Street. Like she was part of like that gang. And in fact, she just recently the other day. um she was like the guest star on uh, the latest episode of How Did This Get Made, the Jason Manzuka's Paul Shear podcast. They they yeah. actually did uh, they did Supergirl. Um, yeah, like like I haven't had time to listen to a podcast since that came out, but I am dying to hear that. And I have to yeah. say, like I, because you know how I mean, we did a whole we did a commentary for Supergirl. I'm I, I'm I, with bated breath. I want to hear that podcast, but I'm a little nervous because like I don't want to hear that movie get trashed up and down and like you goat. Know I mean? uh, goat. I was like worried about it too, and I I did not listen to it until a friend told me about it, and I listened to it, and guess what? They all like Supergirl. 
So uh, you're you're safe. Okay. <laughs> I can work uh, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. uh, Brie Larson, in fact, really liked Supergirl. Okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, like, and then when people say like she's you know uh, oh she's not that great of an actress. I mean, before even the room, which I think she was, I think she's fantastic in the room. I love. Room. But uh, yeah. but I don't know if you've seen um, Short Term Twelve. But no, that I is a movie I just absolutely love, and that's like that movie. Like man, I, that movie made me cry. Like that movie, like just moved me so much. And that talk about a movie that was like, you go back and look at that cast. That's uh, Brie Larson, uh, Rami Malek, Lakeith Stanfield, uh, Caitlin Deaver, and John Gallagher Jr., who have all gone on to like quite decent careers since, you know. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a fantastic movie. Um, and then that was like that's where I really started to pay attention to her as like an act, as like uh, you know a dramatic powerhouse. Uh, I, I know it sounds like I'm rambling, but it's just I'm just trying to make the point where like. <sighs> When you say that like, she fell from the A list to the B list, I think that's ultimately, unfortunately, like more indicative of just the way people kind of look at the careers of actresses. Because when you said mm. that you you haven't seen this happen, I was thinking, well, the other kind of recent example is Jennifer Lawrence, who was another one where like yeah. people just kind of turned on her and got sick of her. And it was like the same kind of thing where I think Brie Larson and Jennifer Lawrence both have this really kind of goofy personality as well. And there's something about like women when women are funny and goofy they're kind of not allowed to be. Uh, we I, I saw this happen to Me, uh, Megan Fox too, right? Megan Fox has this like really cutting, sarcastic sense of humor and everyone turned that into her being a bitch. And I've seen that happen with Brie Larson where she did one of those like YouTube videos where it's like her um, answering like autocomplete questions and all mm-hmm. the comments on the video are like, what's with her attitude? And it's like, go watch that video and tell me if you honestly believe she has an attitude or if she's just being goofy and like making fun of how dumb the questions are. And again, if a guy does that, no problem. But when a woman does that, no, no, thank you. You know, no, yeah, it's just, it's I, like I watched so that video. I, th- I thought it was funny. I didn't, I didn't really say anything mm-hmm. negative about it. So I don't know. I think it's, I, I can't, I can't say that she's fallen off the A list because it's just like there really hasn't been that much time since Captain Marvel, and one whole mm. year of it was just a wash, you know. And uh, we'll see what happens next. But I think she's, I think she's fine. I don't think MCU's getting rid of her. I, I think <laughs> we're just seeing. I think we're seeing the, act- the, the actual the MCU. <laughs> I just think we're seeing like the real progression of that character. Um, you know, I don't, uh, I think Captain Marvel is still an important part of their plans and, uh, I don't know. We'll see what her next steps are, but I think she still has the clout to easily step into like a blockbuster movie. But I also think she might want to just try some stuff like just mercy and just do these smaller roles. And it's, it's unfortunate that if she does that, people are going to say it's like a proof of failure and not mm-hmm. say it's like an actress taking some risks or something. So, yeah, sorry to rant, but yeah, I just, uh, no, no, no. I, I like her and I, it just bothers me how much she seems to be public enemy number one to all these like yahoos online who just are, well, just need to get a life. If you want to guard yourself against that, if, if, if the video has like a thumbnail of like her face, like scrunched up and screaming yeah. or looking like really blank eyed and dumb, just, you just avoid the video because yeah. you're, you're not going to get like uh, objective criticism. No, but like, like, yeah. Cause like there's like a lot of movies before, like I knew who she was like, you know, way before, um, uh, what, what was it? Fucking room. And like, yeah, just like looking through like, uh, like her part in the spectacular now, uh, Don John, uh, and then the gambler with Mark Wahlberg, which like nobody talks about that movie. But I actually really liked that. Like that was like a modern movie that reminded me uh, of a um, of a, like a kind of throwback to like a seventies character drama. That was the Rupert Wyatt one, right? Yep, yep. I really enjoyed that movie. I actually kind of want to give it a rewatch. But like, yeah, she's really like. And there's been a few that I missed. Um, 
like I didn't see short term twelve. I didn't even know she was recently in short term twelve until I looked up actually the Keith Stanfield's a thing, and I ha- I haven't seen Just Mercy, and I know that's supposed to be like a great movie, but like, yeah, like I was just like she's so good. Like as far as all the stuff people criticize her, like you know the people that like you know really criticize her, like. I think she said a couple of things over the years that to me was like a little awkward, like chalk it up to maybe like somebody putting their foot in their mouth or maybe being misunderstood a little bit. But there was nothing that I was personally offended by. It was just like, I did take exception and this had nothing to do with her. Like I didn't like the weird hype around Captain Marvel that like this was like somehow the a groundbreaking like like, female superhero movie, when I'm, like, um, like, Wonder Woman came out, like, two years ago, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. so I I didn't really, like, and I know that was Marvel, like, patting themselves on the back, or or not even Marvel, maybe, maybe just people who, like, kind of lick the boots of Marvel or whatever, but I'm just, like, other than that, like, you know, kind of that thing I was complaining about earlier, like, I felt like we didn't have any, like, real actors for, like, a while here, and now these, like, kind of younger guys are coming through, and like I to me, I think she is uh her and yeah, Jennifer Lawrence, I think they're I mean, unless there's just somebody I'm blanking on right now, I think they're they're probably like the you know, I say young, these women are like in their early thirties now, but you know, you know what I mean. They're they're not like they haven't been acting for forty years, but uh I think they're probably our two best actresses, honestly, yeah. that we have right now, you know. Well, that thing with you saying like they put their foot in their mouth. I mean, sure, and like everybody does, right? And it's just like something with the, the the thing with Captain Marvel, like Marvel hyping it that way. I agree, it was like kind of, you know, I could see how it could be like a little eye rolling worthy. Yeah. But it, it, but the truth remains, even though Wonder Woman ended up beating it, there still wasn't a lot of female superhero movies, and there still no. aren't, you know. And no. and it did deserve. And it's it's like very easy for you and I, or like these guys who make these YouTube videos, to like look at that and be like, oh, why is Marvel doing this? But like. Yeah go actually talk to some of the like the, the female superhero and comic book fans. And like, they were very excited about both those movies because that does matter to them to have a, to have a character like Captain Marvel is important. And I can see why that would mean a lot to Brie Larson and why she would talk about how the representation is important. And everyone like rolls their eyes at it. But I mean, Jesus Christ, it's like, it's one movie out of like so many Marvel movies. Don't worry guys. You're yeah. still getting mostly male led Marvel movies. You can let there be a Captain Marvel movie every couple of years. Right. It's not that your dick's not going to fall off. <laughs> just <laughs> Well, no. It, it, and if, if you look like, I, I think the thing that like kind of gets people like huffy and puffy more than anything is like, is like we, you know, we grew up with, uh, you know, Linda Hamilton and Terminator and we grew up in Sigourney Weaver and aliens. And we grew up with, uh, you know, even like more recent times, and I know it's almost what uh, Mela Junovich, but <laughs> but like you know, we grew up with Mila kicking ass in Resident Evil. But it's like for whatever reason, like those movies just kind of came out and like they were popular for what they were. But there, the media was different than especially social media was different, or either didn't exist. And it was like the conversation that's created around some of these movies, like they probably would have been around those earlier movies, just the media was different then. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, well, I think that ultimately like proves the point, right? Like, cause it's like you have the, you're saying, you're, you're saying, and you're right that there was already like female led action movies that were successful. And that just proves how there is like a sexism and there is a misogyny involved in both the media and Hollywood that like those movies could happen. And we still have to have this conversation every time they announce a new female led movie where it's like, right. well, is this going to be a hit though? It's like, well, we've proven it can be yeah. now. So like, why are we still having this discussion? You know? And I think that's where people like Larson get frustrated. It's like, 
why does this need to still be a discussion? Why can't we just have these movies? You know? No, I, I, I totally get it. And like, as much as like the whole misogyny thing and always questioning like, Oh, another female movie or, Oh, would it be successful? And if it's not successful, it's because of female. like, like I get where like in this kind of still kind of new era of like fans creating their own media, creating their own blogs, creating their own videos. And like, as much as like you want to, it's like, like I think kind of the wrong thing was like, just the fans or like just general like taking all the blame for like the misogyny or whatever because it's like for every cranky person there is like whatever making a shitty youtube video hating somebody like for really no reason it's like to me like the real misogyny is hollywood (laughs) like 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 like, you're not green lighting shit because of this or that it's it's like to me you're the bigger problem like Electra bombs, and then they're like, yeah. "Well, that means we can't have any more movies like that." Like, uh, yeah. well, why? Like, and that doesn't, and as you said, like that doesn't happen if one male superhero movie bombs, right. and that's when you know we've reached like kind of equality, right? So, like Captain Marvel is a perfect example where that's a movie I'm not super hot on, but yeah. the reason I'm not super hot on it is the same reason I'm not super hot on Ant Man too. <laughs> they're just yeah. both kind of boring movies you know it's, it has nothing to do with the gender of the hero it's just like they're both average and that's fine like i want women to be uh i want us to get to the point where there's as many like shitty female superhero movies as there are good ones because yeah. that just means finally it's everything's the same yeah and i gotta say like like i i when captain marvel came out i saw it i enjoyed it but it's like i didn't think like at the time i kind of thought like oh it's kind of one of the worser marvel movies like it's probably in like the bottom five or seven marvel movies just because it just was kind of like a generic origin story and i was kind of like well okay like you know whatever issues i had with it it was kind of like because it was like a clunky origin setup now that all that's away like you know like i don't like trev like i don't you know, I get that this is a common used like trope in screenwriting, but whenever you're dealing with a hero that has amnesia, it's it's <laughs> you're always going to like kind of have some clunky like moments. Oh, it was like you know. it was a gigantic miscalculation to tell that story the way they did. There's yeah. like no doubt about it. Yeah, it was yeah. it was a very strange choice, and I think it also that did hurt her and that, you know, you've seen people like attack her performance, but it's like they didn't give her the kind of role that would allow her. It's strange that you cast. Brie Larson, who everybody was like very yeah. excited about her getting that role, and then you didn't frame the character in a way that allowed Brie Larson to show her strengths because right. she's a very likable, fun person. You want that character to to not be dour and like not know who she is for the whole film. I don't know. It was a weird choice. Yeah. No. Yeah. Like I almost think it goes back to what we were saying about Mahershala Ali and Blade. It's just like, like you said, like they didn't they didn't get Brie Larson to do like the best role that Brie Larson could do. They just grabbed the hottest name they could because right. they're Marvel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I mean, in terms of like doing car commercials and stuff, I don't know, like McConaughey does it too, you know, like yeah. whatever. And and if she wants to be a Nintendo spokesperson, I don't know. I think that's cool. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to complain about that. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I'm like, what's next? Supermarket openings? I don't get it. <laughs> like, I don't, like, I don't know. Like to me, I just, I thought she kind of had the, uh, you know, YouTube critics aside, I guess you could say possibly. But other than that, I just thought she had the hottest like career going in Hollywood, and it's just I don't know. It's yeah, just... but also like, are there still like, we? I mean, again, like there really aren't movie stars now, right? All these yeah. people who I think are going to be like this next big A lister. Like, what does the A list even mean now? Like, A list yeah. kind of only is being in a superhero franchise, right? Like, that's going to be her thing. She's she's probably locked into Captain Marvel for what like five or six more years, and then in the yeah. meantime, like. What what else is there to do? I mean, none of these none of these actors are making like is like 
would you say her career is that much different than Chris Hemsworth? I mean, he's Thor, right? Mm-hmm. But everything else he does, nobody gives a shit about. You know, he's doing Netflix originals too. So I mean, <laughs> I don't know what A list means. No, anymore. yeah, no, yeah. You're 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 right. I mean, he did like the Michael Mann movie, but then that flopped, and like yeah. you know, like he did like Heart of the Sea, and that flopped, and like mm-hmm. like I would say here the uh, I really like that one Afghanistan movie he did though. Like that was actually pretty good. I'm blanking on the name of it, it has like a numer- numerical name, like twelve something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, like, uh, yeah, like, I don't know. To me, it was just almost seemed like she quit acting and just started doing commercials. Like, it was just was weird. And, like, but, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I'm just, I don't know. Like, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep an open mind because it's, like, I was just, like, once the clunkiness of Captain Marvel was done with the origin story, I was, like, now we can move full of it. And then, like, you know, they let they let well they didn't really let the directors go but they reassigned them to like uh one of the tv projects and then like yeah when i saw that like it wasn't really going to be captain marvel 2 because i was hoping they would just do something where it almost still be like a prequel where it's like the last one was the 90s and now this one was like the early 2000s or something but um i don't know i guess at this point we just got to accept that marvel's gonna be shoving the world building down our throats yeah that's <laughs> It's funny when I hear people say like, oh, well, that proves they don't have faith in her as a bankable star. But it's like, do you really do you honestly believe their solution to that would be to give her like co-billing with two characters that are only going to be from TV at that point? You know, that just that's not them not having faith in Brie Larson. That's just them being so cocky now that they feel like any Marvel movie is a hit. You know. Yeah, like I gotta say too, like um, because I mean, just real quick, they they released an Avengers game last year, Trev. And it like, caused a big stink because it really wasn't an Avengers video game. It was actually a, a Miss Marvel game in disguise. Like, literally, you just play as Miss Marvel the whole game. I played about halfway through it. I really liked it. I ended up really liking it. Like, it really goes into the origin of uh, Miss Marvel. Um, so, like, I was like, okay, cool. Like, I, I like this character in this, like, whatever Square Enix video game form. Like, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to, like, the character being introduced. And yep. it's just like, uh, so like, I mean, I'm not against the character coming out. It's just like, I kind of want to capture Marvel too, <laughs> to be honest. See, I, I kind of like, uh, there's, a, there's a weird premise that disagrees to where like my favorite thing about the MCU now is watching these characters interact with each other. Yeah. So like maybe because I wasn't super hot on Captain Marvel and I actually, uh, Captain Marvel is a comic book I love. Like I, I like yeah. the character in the, in the Marvel comics a lot, but I'm kind of, I would kind of rather see her like interact with other heroes than watch another solo film. I kind of just like don't want solo films at all anymore. I just, I don't know. There's something where I, I like watching these characters bounce off each other. So I actually find it fun to think that the next movie will be her interacting with Miss Marvel and, and Monica Rambeau. Um, I mean, my only concern is it seems like really early for like Miss Marvel to already yeah. kind of show up. Cause the idea is she's like, you know, she's this little kid who's obsessed with Carol, but Carol really hasn't done much yet to right. have fans. So that's like kind of concerning, but you know, whatever. Yeah, it is weird. So I'm 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 just gonna throw it out there since since we're going full whatever. Uh, what's what's your verdict on uh, the scene in uh, Captain Marvel where she beats everybody up and just a girl plays on the jukebox? Awful. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> like for every like uh, now I'll be a hypocrite for everything I've said about how like I don't you know I'm very liberal and I don't mind all this like woke stuff that everyone else does. That was yeah. like what you know what the problem with that was is that. The the reason I hated the use of that song is that was the bad kind of like woke kind of thing that like does yeah. bother me because there were no characters in that film that ever discounted her for being a female. Right, like right. nobody she nobody she's fighting in that scene was like you're a woman you can't do this. So like the thematics of that song make no sense in that moment. So that was like that was like too in your face and like there was no point to that song at that point. 
Well, here's Trevor. I think this is probably like the this is the moment where I come to the realization why I'm not really that popular on YouTube is that that's probably my favorite scene in the movie. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> I mean, I mean, first of all, I love the song. I love the song I like when the it song, first yeah. when came out. I was a huge No Doubt fan, and just like just because it's the scene where she finally powers up and kicks the shit out of everybody. Um, yeah. No, I like this. I like the song. I just, I don't know. I have this thing where, like, when you use a song like that in that kind of scene in a comic book movie, I'm like, I'm very tuned into like yeah. why you chose that song, and like that one just, I, there was like, you see, you, you, you get what I'm saying, right? Like thematically, I didn't understand it other than to yeah. be like, yeah, this is our female movie. Yeah, it is. It's kind of like it's kind of like I don't like the moment in Endgame, right, where all the women line up, because it's just like. Yeah. We don't need that scene to know all these women are badass. They're they're badass because they're there. And like my problem with that scene is they all line up to protect Captain Marvel, who does not need their protection. Yeah, <laughs> like, who's like stronger that? than all of them put together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I gotta say, like, that was a little weird that in-game moment. Cause like I felt like there was a similar moment in Infinity War that worked really good where the, mm-hmm. the female heroes teamed up against that one like yeah. female uh, alien yeah. lady. And yeah. like that really worked. And then like the one in Endgame felt like like it was almost like shoved in at the last second as a weird yeah, reshoot or something. Thing. It was like pointless because they don't need to protect her, and also like your your longest running female character is like dead at that point. You right. know, yeah. it's like and she's not there to like be part of this. Like it, it yeah. just felt like ugh. Like yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Oh Marvel, we we could fill twenty hours full of Marvel. But yeah, that that was that was interesting. Uh, definitely, like this show has literally ended up being twice as long as I thought it would be. But uh, yeah, you could always maybe you could you could split it. I could split it. I could do a. Uh, I could I could do a. Uh, shit, what was it? I could do a. I could do a Snyder cut. We split it. And then we... Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. But uh, before we go, real quick, you, you got to tell the people exactly because uh, because this will be released in a few weeks in the in the full swing of it. What is uh, Mela Junovich? So Mela Junvovich is the the two month event that we are now undergoing over at my other podcast, uh, Failure Failure to Franchise, which is as I said earlier, a show dedicated to um, all failed franchise starters. So movies that were meant to spawn sequels and spinoffs and universes and and did not for whatever reason. And one of the main things I've wanted to do since starting the show was to to dedicate some episodes to uh, my favorite leading lady, Mila Jovovich, who I've just I've been in love with since I was a teenager. Um, she's always been my number one crush and, uh, as much as I love her, she's definitely has her fair share of failed franchise starters. So it's a, it's a bi-weekly podcast. So in May we're doing four, uh, uh, May and June, Mela Junvovich, we're doing four Mila's movies. We start with ultraviolet, uh, roll into, uh, Paul W.S. Anderson's three musketeers. Then we're looking at the Hellboy reboot, which I've never seen. This will be my, my first time checking that out. Amazing. And uh, and then we're ending it with the fifth element because we wanted to end on a real high note. And uh, recently, I always knew that there was like talks of like a fifth element sequel, but recently I read an article that revealed uh, the producers talking about how like while they were filming the fifth element, they were already like kind of doing some initial work on the sequel. So that gave us the oh. impetus to say, all right, well let's just go and look at that one then. So yeah, should be a good time. And I, I any opportunity I get to rave about Mila, I will I will definitely take, even if it's talking about some of her failures. That's kind of the <laughs> the, the double edged sword of this. I, I want to pay tribute to her, but uh, meanwhile I'm going to be talking about all these movies that didn't quite work for whatever reason. Uh-huh. 
amazing amazing i can't a lot of people don't know but her character the uh the the bandage version i guess you could say is one of the things that actually kind of helped popularize uh the whole cosplay phenomenon in the united states it's yeah. one of, it's one of the most widely cosplay characters of all time which is interesting because so. it's a very daring cosplay yeah like to me you're you're almost going even further than uh the the slave Leia outfit yeah. yeah but yeah so awesome so yeah so uh again thank you everybody for listening we we enjoy your uh listenership we love it um unfortunately yeah you know it's it's it, i guess that's just the nature of being a fan of older stuff uh uh, somebody I thought was awesome uh, recently passed, uh, Tawny Katane. I was, uh, mm-hmm. I, I was a, like literally just crazy about Bachelor Party when I was a kid. I watched it on cable like literally about twenty times. I thought she was great in that. And then later on, I discovered her in Witchboard, which I think is like maybe her best uh, acting role that I've seen. But uh, did we, were you a fan of anything she was in, Trev? You know, I like, uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely grew up watching Bachelor Party a lot. Um, that's actually a movie, man. I haven't watched that in like over 20 yeah. years, probably. Maybe, maybe I should revisit that. Um, you know, just a few, few years ago, for the first time ever, I saw, uh, what's that? Like The Perils of Gwendolyn? Have you ever seen that? Yeah, the movie she did. No, I haven't uh, seen it, but I, I can't, uh, somehow I'm like friends or something with the director on Facebook and he, and he uh, was talking about it. So I, I've, yeah. I keep hearing about the movie, but I have no clue like what it's about or anything. I'm, I'm not here to say it's like a good movie, but yeah. I mean, it's one of those ones where if you go in with the right mindset, you're going to have some fun with it. Um, and then... And then, like anyone, like around our age range, uh, you know, obviously that White Snake video, <laughs> very oh, amazing, uh, very important to me as a as a young boy. So yeah, and like the way the photo is, you don't see her her face very clearly. But I didn't realize she was also the the lady on the cover of the Rat album too. Uh, which I was gonna say, which Rat album? But I, there might be only is there just like the one? <laughs> <laughs> well, the whatever the one that has round and round on it. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. I actually have a copy of that. I was at a CD store in the uh, uh, late '90s, and the guy was like, he just had a stock of vinyl, and he was just like, we. Ha-, he's like, somebody brought in four copies of this. Do you want it? So I took it. So I actually own that album cover. I didn't realize it was it was hers. Just like. Uh, I'm blanking on the name of the actual album, but it's like her, and she it almost looks like she's like crawling on her hands and knees towards like a furnace or something. It's a little weird. You know what I will say? Like on uh, on my kind of uh, shame list, uh, I've never seen Witchboard. Oh, it's you know what? If you watch that and you watch Night of the Demons, like you'll really be like, oh man, I wish Kevin Tenney would have had a bigger career. You know? Mm-hmm. You know, well, I mean, I, I I do love Night of the Demons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like Witchboard. I, I I feel like I never saw it, and I think in my head I always kind of confused it with uh, Witch Trap, which I yeah. have seen. Yeah, but yeah, like Witchboard. I I remember seeing it like as a kid, uh, renting it like like really young when it first came out, probably. And I bought that Blu-ray that I want to say Screen Factory put out like maybe eight or nine years ago. And like yeah, like I'm gonna have to rewatch that soon because uh, is there because like because which trap is Kenny is uh, is Kevin S. Tenney also is there any like connection between the two or is it just uh, like I don't know I really never like like I'm friends with face on Facebook with him too and like he posts about both but he never really talks about like if they're connected mm-hmm. or not um, yeah. I wouldn't think so uh, like I know they like, they end up making all these sequels and stuff but like Witchboard seems from what I remember of it it seems fairly contained like okay yeah. yeah. Because it's, you know, it's an evil power that's coming through the Ouija board, this guy who's like, you know, kind of like a spirit or demon or whatever he is. And uh, it seems like it's pretty vanquished, you know, like by the time the movie wraps up. So, yeah, I don't know. 
But yeah, I was like, cause I like I follow her on Facebook, and I swear it just seemed like two or three days ago she posted something. I mean, you know, especially the, like brutal talk about passing away, cause I know she had two daughters and uh, passing away like a day or two before Mother's Day. I mean, I, I feel mm-hmm. I feel sorry for her kids, you know. Yeah. But, but anyway, you know, sorry to bring it on a downer, but you know, unfortunately, life gets in the way sometimes. Can't can't be all uh, discussion about uh, Ryan Johnson and Brie Larson. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes real life has to creep in there. But anyway, yeah, thanks everybody for listening, Trev. I want to thank you for uh, going on this journey. This I kind of pitched you this idea a few weeks ago, and you you were you were all about it. You were you you uh, you know answered the call of adventure. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, no, for sure. It was fun. It's fun to just, like I said, just chat about random stuff. So hopefully people enjoy listening to it. I don't know. But I, uh, if even if no one listens, I'm glad I got to talk to you for a bit. It is. And I'm I'm sure, like, I, w- I think more than anything, we can make this at least a, probably an a, a annual discussion. I think once yeah. a year we need to, if not more, get together and talk about this stuff. So, yeah, everybody, thanks again. Trev, thanks for joining. We hope you guys have uh, the best summer you can. Uh, I don't know if there will be a summer movie season this year or not, but either way, keep watching movies, keep having fun, and we see you guys again real soon right here back in the movie graveyard.